What if a single device could become your gateway to a universe of entertainment? From a multifunction media console that can turn your home into a cinema, to a portal that connects you to the world, the PlayStation 3 provides a complete entertainment experience. Imagine a home theater that lets you watch DVDs and enjoy higher-definition Blu-ray discs with startling image quality up to 1080p. Or a stereo that lets you play your favorite CDs and rip them to a built-in hard drive with the potential to experience it in full 7.1 surround sound. Consider a wireless internet portal with always-on online connectivity that provides you with exciting multiplayer gaming Let you build your arsenal by downloading expansion packs, weapons upgrades, and new levels. And gives you the freedom to voice chat with friends, send free text and video messages, and surf the web. Or maybe even get yourself a new ride. One machine. Limitless potential. In fact, if there's anything you can't do with the PlayStation 3, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kane and Rinse podcast. This is your latest single format one console special. Today, we're going to be talking about the PlayStation 3. I think we did the Xbox 360 a while ago, so it's only right and proper that we should catch up with its generational counterpart, as made by Sony. And it only does everything. That's what they told us. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this podcast are Carl Moon. Hey, everyone. Ryan Heyman. Hi there. And Thomas Quilfelt. Howdy. The PS3 then. What do we remember? What are our strongest feelings about the PS3? Let's start with Carl. First of all, did you early adopt? I did. Uh, so I was day one. Um again and it was a surprise day one so uh, a, a little story here is i was i was graduating uni in 2007 um i'd recently moved house from my childhood home on the 31st of january of that month and i had a whole lot going on and what i didn't know is that my parents had pre-ordered the console and they were actually buying me the ps3 as a um a sort of graduation gift for finishing university. So I didn't actually know I was getting one. Um, it was one of those ones where I was actually going to wait. I was very happy with my Xbox 360. Um, I had my obviously a PC that was really great at the time. Um, so it was a complete surprise to me. It was a, it was a pleasant surprise, I will, I will say, but I genuinely had no idea that I was getting one. What'd you get with it? Uh, Motorstorm, Resistance Fall of Man. And then I bought a Tekken 5, um, what was it called? Dark the- Resurrection. Yeah. So I, p- I picked mm-hmm. that up on the on the newly formed PlayStation Store uh, that yes, was yes. on there. Uh, the mm-hmm. very old original PlayStation Store that was very unusual in terms of its design, but they were my, they were my launch games. So you had one of the fully backwards compatible 60 gig models? I that did. Was an early purchase. Yeah, okay. it was. Yeah, and is nice that one still giant. alive? Do you know what it is? Um, albeit, I don't really know how. Um, I did get to a point when I was playing it and it got really, really loud. And then I mm. ended up winning one off Twitter from uh, Foster's. 
the Foster's <laughs> Lager. <laughs> Foster's in the Foster's Lager, yeah. They had a competition Class. on Twitter, and I ended right. up dropping one of the 120 gig uh, slim models. So it was okay. one of the newer The first designs. revision, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I ended up getting one of those, and I've, I've since okay. gone and got a second 60 gig uh, original launch model because why not? Mm. Oh, very good. Okay. Uh, Ryan, how about you? Uh, it launched slightly earlier in America, as we'll talk about. Were you there as a youngster? I was not there at launch. Um, I owned an Xbox 360 from launch. That was kind of my console throughout the early part of that generation. And I bought a PlayStation 3 for myself when I was in university. Um, one of my roommates had a PlayStation 3. Well, sweet mate. I guess they were in the room kind of across a shared bathroom. This is very unimportant <laughs> uh, level of detail. Oh, it's important. Human <laughs> Human touch, yeah. But it's like, like, you know, it's close enough to where you get to sample it fairly often, but it's not in the same room. And so you don't get unlimited access to it, right. which is kind of what motivated um, motivated the purchase. But he, he was a, a kind of a PlayStation diehard and so had all of the, you know, cool exclusive games. Um, at the time, I was really intrigued by Little Big Planet because it was just so different from anything else mm. that I had ever seen before. And it looked quite nice and the, um, the creativity that, it allowed you in the kind of level creation was uh, felt like such a, a new and and uh, interesting thing and so i um eventually i picked up a playstation 3 it was at the time at which they did the first console revision so right. i got the um I'm going to say probably a bit contentiously i got the attractive playstation 3 of the three models i got the one that looks good <laughs> We'll debate that later. Uh, yep, certainly. <laughs> but um, it's the the middle model for um, yeah for anyone who who knows all three of them. But um, the slim, as it's that's right. But known. I think they called the other one slim as well. So. Super slim. Super slim. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that one that one hung on for quite a while. It had a bit of a. A bit of a scare as I lent it to uh, my girlfriend at the time for the summer. I, I kind of left my uh, my big TV and PlayStation with her for the summer just because she was remaining in town and I was going back to my parents' place and I thought it would be easier to just leave it at her place than to, um, than to transport it all the way back. And uh, I think like one of the very first nights that she owned it, she just like left that and the TV on all night, which is not like not a great thing to do for that level of electronic. And um, I think I ended up having to take it in to uh, to get a repair on that one oh. because it, uh, it just wasn't um, it wasn't playing nicely after after that i thought the story was going to go tragically that you broke up while <laughs> while that while the gear was there and then you had to do the awkward sort of shuffling in to get you to get no your unfortunately stuff. That... that would have probably saved me some heartache later but uh <laughs> it wasn't the case <laughs> um yeah i've i've had a wide range of adventures i picked up my playstation 3 with katamari forever that was my game at mm. launch and i uh i Loved that one um, thoroughly throughout the entire PlayStation 3 lifespan. And um, we might get into later, but I was I was one of the more, I don't want to say visible, but I was one of the more vocal, um, vocally affected uh, victims of the PSN hack. 
And oh, um, yeah. yeah, we will talk about yeah, that. I, I stood to yeah. lose quite a bit of money, but ended up making enough of a stink to where Sony's lawyers got involved and uh, were oh, able to kind okay. of clear things up. <laughs> mm, got some juice there. We'll definitely come back to that for sure. Uh, but despite all that horror, uh, you still you still kept your PS3 around for the rest of the generation. Yeah, you know, and I uh, I ended up kind of preferring it towards the end of the generation. Um, I was always, you know, when it came to multi-platform games, because that was really what Gen 7, Gen 7 was about, mm-hmm. um, was multi-platform uh, primarily. You know, there were good exclusives on both sides, but it was really like the multi-platform publishers that were... Um, they were putting out the real bangers that generation. And I was always like, I always struggled to determine which console to get the multiplat games on because I preferred the controller of the 360, but I can, I preferred the like user experience of the PlayStation three, you know, navigating the menus and how quiet the system was as opposed to the mm. kind of jet engine Xbox 360 that I had. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. it, it was really like anything that I could get on on a uh, PlayStation 3 that wasn't too kind of controller dependent, uh, I would. But, you know, things like shooters and racing games and stuff where, like, having a comfortable controller was really, like, the make-it-or-break-it moment I would get on 360. So, you know, I definitely kept both alive throughout the generation, but uh, I grew to love the PlayStation 3 more as time went on. Thomas, early adopter or not? No, no. I... I've got a really hazy memory of this whole period for various reasons. So I'd I'd kind of not been that engaged with video games mid-noughties. I, I don't... Anecdotally, I've heard people say at university that they either fell off gaming or it was all just about local co-op, you know, mm. or there was like one or two games that they'd sort of see their flatmates or play with their flatmates. I was a bit like that. I was sort of pro-Evo, Tekken 4, um, and it wasn't like a serious 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 gamer and then um my bless my dad um he has this habit of like buying nice tech gadgets for all our lives computers and consoles and stuff like that and then eventually just giving them to me or quite quickly actually just giving them to me um and actually it was him who took me and my brother to an eb games uh for the playstation one and picked up a second playstation one so he sort of set us on the me on the playstation path um playstation 2 was our you know dvd player and and main console and stuff ended up in my room so i think it was him who got a playstation 3 because he was interested in like blu-ray and stuff like that it might have been an 80 gig slightly later model so i sort of floated into this gen quite late i barely remember what games we had at the beginning i think burnout paradise was one of them and i didn't really get on with it um and i think i played stuff like tomb raider underworld and i didn't really get on with it so i can't say that i was that hot on ps3 to begin with and then um kind of as the gen went on i managed to wean i said to myself right i cannot play any more solo master league on pro evo i've got to try some different games and this was just about the time that the kind of playstation digital store was taking off um, and I remember flat. I remember very specifically Flower. Never played anything like it before, um, which isn't true actually. I had played that game company's very first like student game, but I didn't know it was them. 
years before completely randomly but anyway but flower like properly grabbed me because it seemed so polished and lovely and different and it just sort of opened my mind up to what indie games could be and then obviously you know once playstation caught up with microsoft a little bit in terms of supporting indies and stuff like unfinished swan obviously journey um so so yeah so gradually i i eased into the generation um and that's when i became as engaged as i am now about video games and you know i wouldn't be on this podcast i wouldn't be interested in kane and rinse if sort of the playstation 3 hadn't because of its exclusives to the indie mm. games and because of those brilliant cross-platform games um pulled me towards the light let's just say right so so by the end of the gen i was properly properly in it you know mm. as much as i'm a huge uh, long lifelong fan of Pro Evo, I got to say, yeah, you'd have been absolutely no use to Kane and Rince if all you were doing was playing Master League. <laughs> Let's say that. Uh, yeah, I rather like with the PS2, which I ended up obviously getting and loving for many years. I was a late adopter, really. I bought my PS3 in the summer of 2008. Uh, up to that point, it had been quite expensive uh, for me to just go out and buy one. Uh, I think there was a price drop or two plus Metal Gear Solid 4 came out. And even though I hadn't by that point finished Metal Gear Solid 3, it looked amazing. Uh, and I really I, I thought this was the finally the next gen game that I was after. Prior to that, I remember seeing PS3s in shops and obviously I knew some people who had early adopted. And I was I was somewhat jealous, but I was also aware that the library wasn't bristling with must haves from my point of view at that stage. I also I didn't have an HD TV uh, up until two thousand some point in two thousand seven two thousand eight. So I knew that you know I know that the unbelievably the console came boxed with a just I think it was a composite cable the PS three came with uh, originally at least. Yeah. So uh, seems kind of mad now. Although I do remember uh, saying uh, when we interviewed Dennis Dyack that he he was saying that actually neither console manufacturer had anticipated the rise of the HD TV when they were developing those consoles. And in fact, uh, the fact that we ended up with loads of 720p games uh, running at chuggy frame rates is pretty much because TV standards changed rather than that was where co console gaming was going in, in their heads. So that's a sort mm -hmm. of a curious side story. But I remember seeing Ridge Racer 7 running in a shop and thinking, yeah, I used to love Ridge Racer. Why aren't I playing that? I remember seeing Motorstorm running uh, when I went to see the Game On exhibition at the Science Museum. They had a PS3 there and thinking, yeah, Motorstorm looks pretty cool. Uh, and a few other moments like that. Um, but yeah, I held off and I held off. And eventually it was uh, it was the summer of 2008. Metal Gear Solid bought a one of the tiny 40 gig models, uh, which had had the the ps2 back compat taken out but it was okay because i still have my ps2 and that one lasted for a long time maybe uh yeah probably 10 years actually uh until yeah around about 2018 and then it finally just wouldn't turn on anymore um i'd already I'd, I upgraded it fairly early from that 40 gig drive to a 250 gig drive as well that was a scary moment for me but uh but it, it went fine <laughs> eventually that one died and i actually just I, ne I needed it for the show for some reason uh, i think we were about to cover something that i needed to play on it so i was pretty much uh lumped with going to cex in brighton and buying whatever model they had in there and i ended up with a super slim 300 something gig 
320 gig, I think it is. Uh, and that one's absolutely fine. It was in great nick and I'm still using it to this day. It's been recently used for the show for the Simpsons arcade and uh, Jack and Daxter HD and things like that. So, and I, I fired it up today and it's still got a hundred games installed on it that I don't have elsewhere. Very so, nice. uh, it's, yeah, it's still absolutely part of the collection. It's not permanently hooked up, but it can be hooked up easily and quickly at any point. And yeah, there's a bunch of games that we'll talk about in the latter part of the show that uh, that remain only available on PS3 or that I don't have access to elsewhere. So there it is. Uh, it yeah, it will continue to be a part of the of yeah. As uh, with us doing Cade and Rinse, I'm gonna I'm still gonna need it for some time to come. Uh, I don't yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't say I had a favorite of the the generation. They both had. They, they both had big pros and cons. I tended to go multi-format on 360 for normally because, I mean, this was the era that Digital Foundry really got into the stride of doing the micro uh, sort of picking apart of games, frame rates and pixel counts. And although this changed throughout the gen, and we will talk about this, uh, at least for the first half of the gen, the multi-format games tended to run and uh, run better and look better on 360 as much as anything because of the architecture of that that console if not its raw power we'll talk a bit more about the hardware i'm not going to go through and list every stat but a few talking points obviously it was developed by sony computer entertainment manufactured by sony electronics with certain components contributed not for free presumably by foxconn and asus uh, i'm not technical or particularly interested in that side of things does anyone know what these other companies well foxconn's the iphone factory isn't it that's i have no idea put stuff together okay are the final products i'm fairly sure foxconn work on most electronics to be fair they they, okay uh, and the for anyone who wants to read about kind of horrific companies and stuff that's always an interesting article on foxconn is it in china somewhere like that yeah this this is the place where uh, employees get so sick that they throw themselves off the roof um, right. and, and yeah, the, it, I remember Sony getting some stick even at the time for aligning themselves with work for working with Foxconn. That does sound familiar. Um, yeah, yeah, it's the one unethical of the, it's side one of, of console gaming. Yeah, right. Absolutely, it was one of the big mm. dramas around that launch that that actually quite clearly aligned um, for the production mm. of things. And Foxconn, I mean, they're, they're very good at producing these things. That's that's their entire well, yes. thing. They do it for a lot at of companies. At what cost? Right. Exactly. Okay. Well, that's a bit grim, but uh, but at least we've covered it. Uh, and Asus obviously are a massive PC, best known for PC components and things like that. I think Asus made some of my PC that I'm recording this very show on, um, but I don't know their exact contribution to the to the PS3. No, uh, obviously we talked about with the PS2 a significant selling point for the PS2 was famously its DVD drive, and so again it came to pass with the PS3, that it was a Blu-ray player, unlike the 360, of course, which you had to buy a fairly pricey add-on to be able to play HD DVD. So the mm-hmm. Blu-ray disc component for anyone who likes a movie in you know, 1080p or whatever was was a... Blu-ray players were still quite expensive, as I recall, around this period. So to buy a, a, a new-gen games console with a Blu-ray player for... 400 odd quid or whatever wasn't so outrageous right no i mean that was that was a huge part of um i think that's part one of the huge reasons why that was the gift that i was getting um aside from the fact that i was massively into gaming 
Um, myself mm. and my, my father have always been hugely into sort of media in general and, and moving with that curve. You know, we had a very early DVD player. We had very early um, receivers and stuff that allowed all this stuff. So um, the idea that we were getting a Blu-ray player, which you, you're absolutely right, they were at a very, very high cost at this time um, as part of the machine uh, was was absolutely fantastic. And then, of course, we got the uh, gyms as a early adopter. You got... Um, Casino Royale as, as kind of a freebie for being a launch PS3. Okay. So, you know, you right. even got the uh, uh, one of the premium Blu-ray discs out at that time. Oh. So, yeah, that was a huge factor for me. Mm. Yeah, it's still the Blu-ray player in my house. Because right. it, even throughout the whole PlayStation, I wouldn't let... My, my wife didn't want to futz with it. She knew the PlayStation 3 XMB. So she mm. still uses it as a, a Blu-ray player, even though now the PS4 has come and gone. <laughs> and the PS5's in the house. Sure, huh. That's the one. And uh, and the pads still lasted as well. One of them only went kaput last month, but it lasted these whole times. Not bad, yeah. yeah I've, uh, my PS4 Pro is now the, the, the home Blu-ray player. That's how posh I am. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, my partner's had to get used to the uh, the UI on that console. Yeah. Uh, but I did buy a media remote. <laughs> uh, DVDs, of course, it also played uh, with upscaling capacity as i recall as well uh, some kind of it did yeah possibility of upscaling yeah uh you could whack a cd in it <laughs> if you wanted obviously you could also whack a ps1 game disc in any of your whichever model of ps3 you had and it runs them i think on the very first gen it, it has it essentially has the hardware of a ps1 in there whereas later it's emulation but i don't think it's distinguishable as far as i know to yeah maybe the most uh, in tune PS1 game expert, but I still have like uh, about 10 PS1 games installed on my PS3 and uh, it's uh, it's a good way to play them because unlike on my knackered old PS1, they don't skip, they don't have loading issues and so on and so forth. There's some weird stuff with the PlayStation 1 emulation. Uh, I know that mm. playing Um Jammer Lammy on the PlayStation 3 uh, results in some really, really strange like audio issues okay. when it comes to like the whatever kind of midi effect they used to emulate the ah. like guitar noise like you would okay. be just be playing like entirely out of tune for the entire game and it made it actually really <laughs> difficult to play <laughs> that's a shame oh dear. I did, does anyone else remember the um sticking a music cd in and seeing the the kind of planet earth screensaver thing i seem to remember watching a lot of that at my dad's house i think that's mainly what he used it for was classical music and the pictures of the earth Okay, so on, on 360 that? we had the Jeff Minter light synthesizer, and on PS3 we had <laughs> oh, kind of, this yeah, amazing, yeah, this it, HD globe. Yeah, I do. Yeah, remember it was that. incredible. Yeah, uh, you could whack a PS2 game disc in the first generation console. Uh, then later generations, um, I don't even know what these are. A Super Audio CD in the first and second gen machines. Uh, what's a Super Audio CD? It's and just uh, it's like Pink Floyd. Avid collect. I had like one Super Audio CD, and it was a ah. Pink Floyd album. Another Dark Side of the Moon release. I can't remember what was good about it. Got just some visualizers like, or something on. Something. It. I think it's just there was some extra data audio, on that. I think it? it's higher definition than the CD. Okay. It's like twenty-four bit instead of sixteen bit or something like that. Yeah. Higher okay. sample rate. They do sound slightly better. I had one, okay. um, a Blue Man Group CD that I bought when I was in <laughs> Las Vegas. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? Wow. 
Uh, and then the the slim and the super slim would not play the super audio CD, but they would play the video CD and the super video CD, which I assume were the sort of subsequent formats. Anyway, the CPU was a by today's standards, but well, I guess not completely woeful. 3.2 gigahertz cell broadband engine uh, with one PPE and not what we now think of as PPE in the pandemic <laughs> era. And uh, eight SPEs. I don't know what that means. All I remember is the word cell being sort of bandied around in the way that these things are promoted and you're supposed to get excited in the same way that Emotion Engine was supposed to get you excited for the PS2. Uh, but I think, again, I can't, without you know digging out what was big in PC gaming at the time, was that about compatible with what a... D, what a well, normally it's a mid-range PC that these consoles are sort of equivalent to. Is that about right for 2005, six when this was being put together? It was, it was it, it, number wise, it did look quite powerful. Um, mm. And part of this was the whole cell architecture that was different. It was, it was, you know, an architecture that you just wouldn't get in a standard PC at the time. Now right. I, I did have quite a good PC at the time. I think mine was about mm. 3.6. That was, I could overclock it massively. Um, and you know, I had all those advantages, but the 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 power of the PS3 was more so in its architecture, um, and obviously, I think mm. to a degree, also part of its downfall. Um, but you, I was, was going to say there was it, a level of power there. Is it actually that this architecture made it different to develop for to the 360, and that was actually part of the problem? It took developers quite a long time to get around the fact that this was architecturally, technically, somewhat of a different beast. In the same way, almost as the Saturn had, you know, yeah. it was a very powerful machine, yeah. but developers often didn't even bother to engage yeah. with the fact Ma- that it had two, so. two processes. Yeah. Pre- right. Prevailing wisdom isn't, is, is, isn't it, that, that the PS3 was just an absolute nightmare for cross-platform yeah. developers, and yeah. especially when it came to memory. I think that's the famous example of Bethesda and Skyrim, just not having memory memories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. But that the, it was a very, you know, raw power, theoretically, it was an extremely impressive machine. I guess you could just look at, you know, very late gen PS3 titles like Last of Us, Gran Turismo 6 to see that. Oh, sure. You know, it yeah. was doing very, it was capable of doing very special things, potentially. And GTA 5, by which time there was absolute yeah. parity between, between the two. Yeah, and I think it's why a lot of PlayStation 3 exclusive games at the time are still kind of trapped on that generation because uh, building for PlayStation 3 architecture just isn't really compatible with the kind of standardized yeah. x86 that we've seen since then. So, you know, it's yeah. not as easy to port something from the right. PlayStation 3 as it is. So, you know, Metal Gear Solid, um, Demon Souls needed an entire <laughs> remake before yeah. it was able to be the last of us being system. a rare and happy exception, I guess. Well, they rebuilt their engine, though. I mean, famously, right. Naughty Dog put a ton of resources in because they knew they were going to have to make Uncharted Four. So they were like, "Well, we we need a PS4 proprietary engine, so let's uh, use a remaster of The Last of Us to kind of rebuild everything." Oh, very cool. Um, which is yeah. why you know, there's there's there is just this weird hard stop between ps3 and ps4 such that the only kind of cross-gen games early on i seem to remember ps4 were like indie games that had been ported from the pc version you know and it's interesting because we we miss i think a lot of us we we this has come up on recent shows a lot of folks really miss the days when 
versions across consoles were very different specifically thinking about uh the 16-bit era where konami for example were making entirely different castlevania games and entirely different contra games both playing to the strengths of each console that was a really fun time now obviously you just wouldn't do that now for uh, they wouldn't throw the resources at it and the architecture now has homogenized to the point where with ps5 and the Xbox Series consoles, we're really struggling to, you know, find differences between the between the two versions in a lot of yeah. cases. And it's kind, of, but it, yeah, it's kind of it's a it's a it's a double edged sword, isn't it? I think in some ways it's great that we don't have to worry about that stuff so much anymore. But in another way, it was kind of that is that is the end of that era of of one console mm. being markedly different to another. I mean, certainly to that degree, and I think you know it. They did go kind of off script with the with the specifications and the architecture behind the PS3. I mean, it is if you look back on it now, it is a very unusual design, and I think this was also part of what, from the outside, looks like a level of arrogance from Sony around the PS3. Mm. That you know, the market after the dominance of the PlayStation Two, which you know was was tremendously dominant, the market would lean towards PlayStation and everything else would suffer, and they didn't necessarily listen. Um, obviously, the equivalent on the other side with Xbox is famously the Gears of War demo that when it showed with the uh, original specification of memory versus the amount of memory that you know that, that engine said it requires to really benefit, Microsoft went back mm. and, and essentially doubled the memory allowance on on Xbox to to account for that, but you know Sony right. were like, "This is yeah. what we're building. This is the you know this is the cell architecture. Everything's going to be built around that." Um, and you know they kind of shot themselves in the foot in that in that regard because it was incredibly difficult, especially in the first couple of years. You know, as you said, people did get a rain on things and then start to build um, far, games far closer to parity. Uh, but even later on, there was still the odd outlier. So the memory. Talking of memory, it had 256 megs of XDR DRAM and 256 megs of GDDR3 video RAM, uh, which, yes, left it, uh, as I understand it, somewhat shorthanded compared to the competition, or at least harder to access the full power thereof. I haven't got the 360 stats in front of me. I know we've covered that machine already. And obviously this is uh, this is never a which console was better kind of show, <laughs> but but we, we're looking at the, the pros and cons and the shortcomings and the, the long goings, as it were. Uh, it came with a little 2.5-inch uh, SATA. Is that how you say it? I've always said it's SATA. Hard drive of various sizes, as we say, all the way up to half a gig, but you could upgrade it to a terabyte if you bought your own drive. Uh, and it had 12 gigabytes of non-removable flash memory. Uh, that's in the super slim. The graphics uh, are a 550 megahertz NVIDIA slash SCEI RSX reality synthesizer. You know they mean business <laughs> when they call it something like that. Uh, actually, you know, um, at its best, again, thinking about uh, some of the last gen games, the the developers that got the most out of it, uh, they could really make that console sing. And I think some of the graphics mm. still stand up. Some of the going back to it now, as with the 360, some things look a little fuzzy, and certainly frame rates leave a lot to be desired. But it had some had some visual grunt. It did. You know, imagine what it could have done if it had blast processing. Um, mm. You know, that, that's <laughs> where the real power was. Mind um, blown. But but yeah, I mean, absolutely. Generally, the first-party studios um, were able to produce some incredibly 
uh, impressive visuals on that system. If you at the third parties, Bandai Namco did some great work on the PlayStation 3 as well, um, kind of leaning most into their mostly kind of anime cartoon aesthetic, which really mm, started to pop yeah. in the HD era. Yeah, but even in even indies, if you think about Flower, like the blades of grass in Flower, the movement of it was incredible. And that wasn't a big team at all. I thought that was one of the most striking games still to this day. The, the specifically the PS3 version. I know some people say about Journey as well, like later ports of Journey don't quite have the same magic as the original. Huh. Um, so, so it wasn't just first party. I suppose those were like second party games, weren't they? Initially? Yeah, they were in tandem with Sony Studios, right? Yeah, PlayStation Studios. Still exclusive to a Sony machine. But they, uh, yeah, they. I'm sort of sure they, as as is usually the way of these things, they get a little bit of extra advice. They get all the latest libraries and tips on how to use it and stuff like that. But the audio output is not that much worth talking about because we're in that era where sound sounds like sound if you know what i mean it's not like we're talking about uh mega drive sound chip or whatever but it still amuses me uh so it, the the ps3 supports a lot of different kind of sound output but it really wants to tell you that every time you select a sound option yeah. like no other console <laughs> like you'll you'll say right okay you'll you plug in an hdmi plug it into an amp or you plug in a toslink cable or whatever and it really wants you to choose between all these various kilohertzes of sound and 5.1s and uh, all this kind of stuff. And I, I, I always think that if there's, uh, I guess it's a UI issue as much as anything, but it, I always find that all this quite techie stuff embedded in the cross-media bar in the menu for this console always makes it feel a considerably less kind of accessible device than certain yeah. other consoles. It's yeah. well, it's because of Sony's hardware background, isn't it? As a, is it? Yeah, well, right. they, you know, CD players, Walkman, right. TVs, you know, that kind of thing. And again, with the kind of Japanese ivory tower accusations that floated around, that you know, Mike, but you you, you would level different criticisms and um, praise of Microsoft in terms of its hardware design as a software first company. Um, Sony's coming from consumer electronics. And yeah, I don't know why all this stuff is in there. Obviously, PS2, PS1 had no need particularly for a sort of sophisticated OS. But um, yeah, it's too much. It's just way too much. I remember, I like the font in the XMB, but uh, that's yeah. about it. Uh, everything else was just sort of confusing <laughs> to set up and navigate around. Like the, the core idea of the moving sideways and up and down is fine. But yeah, a lot of tech stuff in the settings that just seemed redundant. Yeah, we'll talk more about the uh, the UI. Uh, I know we've got some fans and some not fans. Uh, the game, the console, I should say, was released in Japan in November the 11th, 2006. Arrived less than a week later in North America. This was already delayed, as I recall, wasn't it? I, I don't remember. I don't have all the details of, de of the delays, but I think it had been put back at least once or twice by this point. Is that correct? I can nobody yeah, it remember. De it, it definitely was a delayed machine. From its yeah. original release, it was going to be a lot closer to the Xbox 360. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that yes, well worth saying, of course, in terms of yeah market share. Although it it did kind of, uh, I think, by the end of its life, it it had a stronger end, perhaps. But uh, but yes, it was um, it was starting from the back foot. Whereas I guess 
the mirror situation with the Dreamcast was that the Dreamcast never got any real kind of foothold. So the PS2 was just people were waiting for the PS2 mm. and not buying Dreamcasts or, you know, apart from us, you know, hardcore gamers or whatever. But on this generation, people were kind of wooed by the 360. And uh, I think Sony thought that everyone would, would wait for the PS3 in the same way as they waited for the PS2. And, and a lot of people were happy to jump formats weren't they well especially you know with the with microsoft pushed a really strong launch lineup as well they pushed a lower price that they announced it was you know you could tell that microsoft were really going to war with the announcement because the playstation 3 announcement did happen like we knew it was coming um the news was in the media about you know suspected prices and microsoft spent their whole thing of essentially looking to undercut everything that they possibly could um and obviously as well as launching an absolutely incredible launch lineup. Yeah, the only obviously massive fly on the ointment for the 360 was the the Red Ring of Death, which we covered mm. in that podcast. So, so the story goes, the PS3 grew over the generation to be the the better seller, but then it had it kind of was popular in markets like South America and Japan that Xbox. Yeah wasn't so it might so internationally speaking it sort of caught up and overtook and at the beginning i think i remember saying some exec saying that the the original digital ps3 store was like put together out of string and sticky tape like they just weren't expecting it they weren't ready yeah and what they built was suboptimal to 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 say the least yeah it's still quite slow and sticky to this day the the digital uh storefront on on the playstation i would say uh on the on this generation pal version arrived again belatedly in march 2007 march 23rd the prices i always find this bit quite interesting launch prices 499 dollars in the us for the 20 gig or 600 dollars 599 for the 60 gig adjusted for inflation that is 668 dollars in today's money or 801 dollars for the Ooh. for the 60 gigabytes so again when people are going play, PlayStation 5, it's more expensive than last the, the previous gens. Not so much. Uh, the UK launch price was £425, which I remember people saying, you know, it's, uh, I think, I mean, actually, now it would always be pretty much pound for dollar, wouldn't it? So we'd have expected, closer, four, yeah. we'd have expected 499 quid now, uh, but it was 425. The exchange rate was a bit of a different beast back in the mid 2000s. And that translates to £629, which is around about the exact same price as the PS5, I'm thinking. It's, <laughs> it's been six months since I bought mine, but... PS5 is 450 Yeah, the PS5 is only that expensive if you're buying it second Because <laughs> you have to buy a bundle. Oh, I see. Oh, sorry. Yeah. 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 Well, well, iPhones still are more expensive than any of these things. So. Yeah, yeah. No, very good point. Yes. And that, I mean, yeah, it just goes to show I've been hoodwinked by the by the bundles. I, I'm thinking. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, in that case, so the PS5 is actually considerably cheaper than the PS3 was in real terms, uh, which is cool. And the EU price was 599 euro, which is 737 euro in yeah. 2021 money the big difference now very quickly on the ps5 price xbox price that, that kind of thing is that their digital stores now make so much money and through microtransactions and the subscriptions make uh you know much more consistent cash flow so whatever loss sure. they do take on the heart you know they can yes 
not afford to subsidise the customer, but I guess they can afford to subsidise well, the, mo- the customer. Yeah, I the don't know that that was happening as much back in 2007. I, I, I completely agree. But of course, uh, I guess I'm just, I just mean it because it gets a bit frustrating, the recency bias that I see from gamers sort of mm-hmm. saying everything's more expensive when it demonstrably isn't. Like all those digital purchases, you don't have to engage with them. And actually in real terms, like for me to go out and buy a £425 console in 2007, well, it wasn't possible. I had to wait until it dropped in price uh, and bought one in for less money in, in 2008. But it would have been, yeah, like the equivalent of a big old chunk of my monthly wage at that point. Uh, and actually, yeah. Steve Norman from the forum says, my son was born on the day after the PS3 launched and I did the responsible thing and stayed away. But not long after my birthday, I think he means from the console rather than his son, but not long after (laughs) my birthday came along and to my total shock, my wife had done the business, uh, dare I say again, and my mum came good with uh, resistance, fall of man too. I really had no idea it was coming and I'll never forget seeing that logo as I tore off the wrapping paper good present the console lived for a good long time it was discontinued in most of the world in 2016 lasted until may 2017 in japan so an 11 year run for the ps3 really which is uh, not too bad four years into the life of the ps4 almost lifetime sales units 87.4 million ps3s around the world well let's get into the the actual look of the box, uh, as I've said before, it's not something that ever exercises me too much. But I guess we can't not have an opinion on the aesthetic of something that we buy and put in our home. Ryan, you've already said you didn't like the original PS3 look. Uh, what was it you didn't enjoy about the... So uh, obviously people will be familiar. Look at a picture if you want to. But it's kind of a elliptical, oblong, domed thing with a glossy piano lid roof disc drive at the front a kind of triangular compartment that you could lift up and there'd be well you could lift up on the initial model and there'd be usb ports in there and it's got the words playstation 3 written on it in the sony owned spider-man font what's wrong with that ryan yeah you know it's not it's not the worst console that i've ever seen but i think that the (laughs) the slim model was such like a big step up aesthetically um everything just felt like a lot more kind of compact and a lot more um the design felt more motivated you know there were a lot of like flaps and stuff on the original playstation model and i just i don't like any consumer electronics that are glossy because they pick up fingerprints and it's just like an ugly look and Mm -hmm. so when they went for a more matte look for the slim model i think it was just a big step up all around Uh, and it's a lethal weapon it was a big heavy sharp cornered object right it was very heavy very very heavy and And quite noisy not as noisy as the 360 but the the early models were pretty noisy. Anyone want to sing up for the way it looked, the original PS3? I remember thinking it looked swanky. I was a huge critic of how it looked in when they revealed it um, mm. and when they showed it in all the advertising and right up until the moment that it sat on my desk. And for about the first 30 minutes, I was like, my goodness, that is an ugly machine. Mm. And then I'd you know, keep glancing over and go, wow, yeah, but I quite like that silver bit around the side of it. That's quite a nice touch. And quite like the way that the buttons are there. You know, it's still got the colour on the PlayStation logo. And, you know, the dome isn't that bad on it. And then by, like, the end of the day, I was like, I quite like this. 
It's funny um, how that happens, isn't it? And yeah, and then I liked it for all of about two weeks until um, I dusted it and then covered it in micro scratches because it's that horrible super soft plastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, which the views on the PS5 annoyingly right down the middle of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it it's one of those things that if you can ever keep it looking new. I love that kind of look, but the problem is the maintenance of it is nigh on impossible mm. because it picks up. It for me, it's not so much the fingerprints. Um, although I suppose it is because the second that you try and wipe those fingerprints away, that's when you cause the scratches. scratches. Even with yeah, even with mm. cloths that are meant for it, microfiber cloths and all sorts, it will still do it. Yeah. So um, that's kind of where my love for that console's look dipped again. <laughs> um, but I do, I do love the contrast of you know chrome and black. It, it, I, I just think it's a classic look, um, and I, for me, that launch machine is far more. Um, it has far more personality than the second wave of machines. Um, although I do prefer the practicality of the second wave of machines. So you know, it's give and take, I guess, um, with mm. with each. But it, it did leave an impression on me. Mm-hmm. I. So, uh, Star Trek: The Search for Spock, the third Star Trek film, yes. has oh, this the coffin. Uh, it might be, yeah, exactly, Space exactly coffin. the coffin. This yeah. <laughs> spoilers. Sorry, uh, the coffin of Spock, the uh, Genesis. <laughs> well, it's rocket, actually it? from Wrath of Khan, isn't it? So, yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So it just reminds me of that. I I don't have strong feelings either way. Like I I don't care about scratches and cleaning it and stuff, but it doesn't sing to me. Um, the main problem are the are they bloody buttons. Just waiting for it to register your finger press is still annoying. Like this annoying. They like of con- thermal or are consumer they? Ele- yeah, consumer electronics kind mm. of swanky. Oh, people are going to love this. It's so futuristic. It's like, no, it's bloody annoying. Not as a, not, I'd say, actually, the PlayStation 4 ones are even worse. And the PlayStation 5. They just suck at buttons on the front of the machine ever since the PS2. But uh, the trend for yeah. terrible front buttons starts here, and I hate—I still hate <laughs> them. I still hate them. My wife—it's very just, easy to brush them with a by leaning over them and eject. Yeah, your desk but it's easy to like leave it. it on. Like my wife doesn't even know you have to turn it off with the pad and mm. see it on the screen. You can't just press a button and it's off. You know, yeah. as you have to hold mm. it down. And you're not quite sure, and then it beeps. And have I reset it or, or whatever? I hated all of that. That's the worst. Yeah, but I'd quite like it overall. I'm fond of it. Maybe just Stockholm Syndrome. (laughs) Seth says on the forum, I pretty much stopped playing games when I started university in 2005, at least to the point that I rarely bought any for those three years. The release of PS3 seemed like a perfect way to get back into it as I'd had the previous consoles and I picked one up just after I handed in my final assignment. (laughs) My reintroduction to gaming almost fell apart immediately as within an hour of taking out of the box, the console stopped working. I returned it to game where I had to wait a while for them to accept that it was faulty and I was given a replacement. All well and good until five months later, the same problem happened again. Sony were able to solve the issue and get a new one sent out to me, but it left me wondering if I should bother with this gaming lark at all anymore. When I started up the console for the first time, it was incredible to see how far things had stepped forward. I was impressed with its built-in hard drive, online gaming out of the box, region-free games and wireless controllers. The Blu-ray drive was also an incredible addition for people like me who still collect physical media and enjoy watching films in the best quality available. While the PS3 had a lot of great games and it did get me back into gaming, I still rank it as a lower mid-tier console. The original monolith design was ugly 
the early lineup was poor, the PSN was really clunky, the 6-axis controller was incredibly misguided, consoles seemed to brick or break down easily, and it was overpriced on launch. Things improved towards the end of the PS3's life, and Sony seemed like they'd learned from their mistakes to give them momentum for the incredible PS4 launch. So maybe this was a necessary stumble for the incredible work to come. Because of the state of the internet at this time, I seem to remember this was the first console where people were... It wouldn't have been the first where people were doing this, but putting out um, mock-ups and concept images mm. before we knew what the console looked like. Oh, well, that, that goes back as, as oh, yeah, far that's... as yeah, yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah. Taylor's yeah. oldest time. Me. I just I personally remember it more for right. this gen. Yeah. And there then, were some crazy wacky ones as always. Ideas and the boomerang of... controller was almost real, wasn't it? Is that right? Apparently so. Yeah, it was uh, it was a last minute thing that they reverted to the is essentially the exact same model out, you know, the the basic shell of the the DualShock 1 uh for the 6 axis, but of course uh, or the DualShock 2 as well. But yes, there was the whole issue with uh, Rumble Motors being uh, uh, copyrighted or, or uh, um, a patent to that they weren't allowed to use for a while. I can't remember the exact legal I mean, details. That wasn't the story we were told. The story we were told, however, was that the six-axis accuracy doesn't work if the pad's vibrating. Ah, uh, okay, so, yes. So they prioritised mm-hmm. six-axis because that's a new way of playing. But yeah, it was absolutely the yeah. licensing agreement with... Um, the uh, contractual thing that had fallen apart about using the licensing of the the haptics, yeah. yeah. Mm, Okay. Uh, And yeah, so that also meant, of course, that we got a lot of early games that were desperate to show off the motion control. Lest we forget, this was also around the exact same time as the Wii was uh, making its debut and motion controls were de rigueur or seemingly, in the way that these kind of industry movements happen either either i think the industry decided more than the people did that motion controls were going to be the way forward but of course nintendo hit upon something massive by making things very accessible whereas sony's solution was to give your players a regular looking games controller uh, which people were incredibly familiar with by this point because of ps1 and ps2 being so massive but then with the six axis loads of what i felt like were crowbarred in mini games like balancing in uncharted and all this kind of stuff just that really i could mm, be yeah. doing without and we still see the sort of legacy of this stuff from time to time so yeah back on the the revisions uh, briefly so yes the the slim model which uh, which i yeah so ryan that's 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 your the one you've got your favorite to this mm-hmm. to this day uh, it's matte it's tidier i think it's fair to say i always quite like this it's the only one i've never had uh, i've seen one i've seen them live uh, jay jay ended up with one of these uh, and I, I suspect I don't actually know what the div- what the divide in terms of sales across the the three distinct main models were, but in the end, uh, we ended up with the third model, known as the Super Slim, uh, which is the one I have here now, which is uh, smaller still, really quite quite ditty, not minuscule, but uh, it's not like the PS One or anything. But considering it's got way more gubbins inside it, uh, it's fairly compact. Uh, it has an actual mechanical lid, which you can pop. Uh, you can have loads of fun in Astro's uh, playroom on the PS5, mucking around with these uh, these models of PlayStation. Um, and it's got a kind of, yeah, kind of grooved uh, top as well as a glossy bit front and back. Now, I never loved the look of this at all, but 
in terms of actually as a machine to own, the fact that it's so small and so quiet, yeah. uh, you still can't put anything on the top of it. <laughs> uh, but it, it makes it appealing in sort of practicality terms, if not aesthetic. How do, how do you folks feel about this one? I know it's quite a divisive model. It looks cheap. It is cheap. <laughs> it's well, yeah, cheap. I mean, but it's it's for me the it went through the arc of the original launch PS3, which looked prestige. You know, it had that gloss, that chrome. You know, those little touches, and they ended up with a machine that it, it didn't have the quirk or cute looks that they, they did with the PS2 equivalent or even the PS1 equivalent. And um, yeah, the the ridge top was kind of the thing that always put me off wanting it. It always looked like. It's the kind of machine I'll, if something knocks on it, I'm going to break it or something like that. It just looked, it, I mean, I've never actually held one or touched it. I was going to say, flesh. I know what you mean, but actually, and I felt exactly the same way, Carl, but when you have it in your hand, it actually feels pretty solid. Pretty. That's pretty, good to know, though. It's, it's a bit, it's a bit like, it's still not the most expensive plastic, I would say. Like, it still feels, it's sort of, you know, it, cla- it clicks in your hands kind of things to hold yeah. it. but. But the actual the the unit feels very compact, and it, it's I think it's I think it's quite robust, and I suspect it has a much lower fail rate than the earlier models. But yeah, there it is. Probably if you go and buy one today, although apparently even uh, last gen consoles are short in shortage. I mean, they're not producing these anymore, so um, I guess you'd be looking at uh, resale market. It I I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess you can target whichever kind of model of PS3 you want at this point. Uh, and there's no major advantages to it in terms of your overall experience to owning one or the other. I guess you just want to base it on how much space you've got and, and the aesthetics. But if you do prefer a quieter model, the last one is the one to get. It's uh, it's almost almost silent, probably about as loud as the PS5, I would say. Kai, uh, Cal Luke, sorry, from the forum says, I'd had an Xbox 360 for a few years, but it continued to betray me with its poor QA, red rings and disc reading issues. I got a PS3 Slim with my first contract phone and it was like a, a whole new generation with its functionality. And it had a decent sized hard drive for installing and downloading games, a Blu-ray player and built-in Wi-Fi. Compared to my early Xbox 360, I felt like I was living in the future with this console from the same generation. A few things there that I hadn't really thought about for so long. So the Xbox 360 didn't even allow you to install games for, uh, for several years did it until they added that functionality uh, i think some games did install portions but with the ps3 there are some games that do run entirely off the disc but most games would install a chunk of themselves as you put the disc in for the first time as yeah. i recall metal gear solid 4 did it as you played the game didn't it there was i think, a, I think snake right. was smoking the old snake was smoking quite heavily and i was thinking gosh that's not good for you whilst the game was yeah, Installing. well, it was showing you something, <laughs> even if you weren't actually playing. Yeah, uh, and yes, it would often yeah it would install some from the disc, download some more, and then play some from the disc as well. Uh, but I do. It, it it should be said that I don't remember ever having uh, like a a disc error or a crash on PS3 in the same way that I do remember those things from 360. But while the 360 had its legendarily expensive billion dollar wasting red ring of death ps3 did have a sort of equivalent which i guess became more well known as time went on it, it wasn't as epidemic as the r rod but the y lod <laughs> the yellow light of doom 
was something that I do remember a lot of people had hardware failure, basically. Um, I had one, but it was one. Weirdly, I had a red ring of death that I just did a turn off and on again on the 360 and it was fine uh, later to die, of course. And I also had a yellow light of doom on my original PS3, which I thought, oh, that's gone and then turned it off and on again. And it came back to life for some years afterwards. But this could be terminal. Anyone have a terminal yellow light of doom or any scares? No, mine's mine's original 2008-ish model still going. It's absolutely fine. Yeah, other than that situation with my girlfriend and this just kind of user error, like I, I feel like it was a pretty right. solid machine throughout its lifespan. You know, this kind of began Sony's trend in consoles of being way too dramatic about losing power while it's in rest mode. <laughs> you know, you turn it on after Rebuilding a power database. Outage, and it's like, yeah. oh, you have to turn it off properly next time. I saw my whole life flash before my eyes. You'll never believe. <laughs> just yeah. Get over yourself a little bit. <laughs> I guess they do that just because, yeah, it, it it seldom seems to cause any major problems. Although I have heard, you know, I have heard of horror scenarios of people losing all their installed games and save data and whatever. But generally, it's uh, it just seems to be a, a precautionary thing of checking its own database and all that kind of stuff. If if you turn it off properly, inevitably consoles get turned off improperly from time to time. Whether it's a power cut or someone pulls the wrong plug out, or you know, it, they have to be they have to be relatively safe from that happening because you can't legislate for it never to happen, can you? But PlayStation mm. scolds you, it boots up in the low resolution safe mode and does this whole like restoring <laughs> yeah. process. It looks really scary until nothing ends up oh, going no, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Did anyone else ever uh, mod their own PS3s? I say mod, I mean, I put in a hard drive. It scared me at the time because I just spent 400 quid or 350, whatever it was on this new machine. And I very quickly became aware that 40 gigs was not nearly enough for my needs so uh ordered a, a hard drive and, and installed it but i do remember the actual process of i think i'd be more confident with it now but back in 2008 it felt terrifying pulling it apart and putting in a hard drive and i know obviously different people have different levels of confidence with this stuff but anyone else mod their machine or i know it's uh there was a video recently from modern vintage gamer saying uh, that the ps3 is often considered the unhackable machine no one's ever really been able to like homebrew it and stuff in the same way as they have with yeah. PSP, PS Vita, Wii, everything else. That was one of the advantages of the architecture, right? Is that it, you yeah. know it was set up to be a lot of different things. You know, it had Linux at launch that you could install as a oh yeah as yeah. a as a feature on it. That it, that's about as much as I ever modded my PS3 was to install Linux just to, mm. to because I could. Um, I forgot about that. Before they removed it. What was the, what, yeah, firstly, so why did they include it? What was the purpose and why did they remove it? And what did you do with it? Uh, I did very little with it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> other than install it and play it was around there. with it. Right. Uh, yeah, it was there and I thought I'll I'll try it. It was just something to try and do one one day. And you know what? It worked quite well. Plugged my mouse and keyboard in. Worked absolutely fine well, hey. stuff like that. You could actually mm. use it as a device. Um. I'm not entirely sure why they implemented it. It was a very strange, but it was a feature that they really pushed. And yeah. I know they removed it because there was uh, essentially a backdoor fear um, through sure. Linux um, was their concern. So they ended up removing it entirely. But mm. um, as as being able to install Linux, the process was really relatively smooth and it worked mm -hmm. really quite well. So um, it, it was actually a really cool feature that the console had that, that you could actually use it as a as a system, I, I suppose, essentially. Just a little 
Well, there was a class action lawsuit after the removal of Linux as well. Uh, one thing, fun thing we normally get to talk about with these console shows is uh, colors, variants, uh, visual variants of consoles. So you can, you know, fashion out your room. But I, the, I only remember a silver model. I don't remember. They, they could have done all kinds of pretty colors of PS3 in, in any of the three models. But did they? I don't remember. There was a stunning metallic blue one. I think there was a red one at some point. Uh, original model. Possibly. I'll have to refresh my memory on that. Okay. Sounds cool. I know, I know that there was a, a, a beautiful metallic blue one, but I couldn't tell you. I think it might have been the, the second slim. variation that got that one. Okay. Um, the Slim and, and, had a red and a blue and a white, uh, Google says. Okay. I really don't haven't seen those around very much. Uh, whenever there's imagery of this console, it's nearly always black. Uh, so, yes. Well, it's good to know. So, yeah, if you are thinking of or inspired to seek out a PS3 listener, don't forget, there's a choice of colours as well. Alex79UK from the forum says, My girlfriend at the time bought me a PS3 for my 30th birthday. I hadn't been expecting it, but had wanted one for a while and was really excited when I unwrapped it. The first thing I did was connect to the PSN store and download a bunch of old PS1 games and ordered myself the first Uncharted from Amazon. I was blown away by the game and it quickly became one of my favourite series. When PS Plus was first introduced, I wasn't too interested, but when they added the instant game collection, it became too much of a good offer to ignore. Every month I downloaded everything on offer and gave it a good try. It was almost like being taken back to the days of demo discs, where you'd try games you'd never normally have played. I have a lot of good memories of this console, maybe even more so than my 360, and I think it's a shame future PS consoles weren't more backwards compatible, as there are an awful lot of games I'd like to go back to, but haven't got the means. I definitely feel like this was a... Because as I say, I, I kind of hadn't been playing interesting games with the PlayStation 2. I'd been kind of parked on a few... Uh, parked on a few obvious ones. And then the PS3, I remember downloading loads of demos, um, playing loads of PS1 games, Final Fantasy VII, of course, again, the mm. Sega uh, Genesis collection. Um, it's the first time I made it all the way through Resident Evil 4, despite owning it for years and years on PS2, never being brave enough to get through it. Uh, I caught up with the uh, God of War 1 and 2 on there, uh, Metal Gear Solid, Peace Walker, um, so yeah, I really was a kind of a retro machine. And then uh, exactly as Alex says, when PS Plus came in, absolutely dipping into games that I might not otherwise have um, mm. through PS Plus, like Peace Walker, I might not never have got round to if it hadn't come on, on PS Plus. Stuff like Puppeteer, I'm trying to remember now, such a long time ago. Um, even with the kind of apology games for the hack, uh, Wipeout HD and Infamous, I seem to recall. I wouldn't. I don't think I would have picked those up, but I ended up beating both of them, loving both of them. So it, it felt like a sort of a great time with digital downloading and demos and PS Plus and and backwards compatibility, both uh, digitally and and by disc. It just felt like a great machine for gaming, you know, all round. Hmm. It was the start of the era of uh, everyone throwing games at you, seemingly. Although. <laughs> We'll talk more about the compensation. One thing I did want to mention on a hardware sense, just as a actually this is one area that Sony definitely got it right in terms of accessibility and affordability compared to their rivals. These were all wireless Wi-Fi internet out the box, right? As far as I'm aware, yeah. I believe yeah. So. Whereas 
with the early 360s, of course, you had to buy a Doobry if you didn't want to yeah. hardwire it. Yeah. Uh, so you could but, look at your little aerial over the top of your console ooh. when it was stood vertically. Yeah. <laughs> Seems very retro that now, doesn't it? But uh, yes, they did away with it once they started revising the 360 as well. Halo Fandango, also from our forum, says, As a fan of the Xbox and Xbox 360 generation, it took my college friends to get me to buy a PS3. Once I did, I was constantly playing my PS3 until I went to university. I initially bought the 80 gigabyte fat model, then the slim, and now the barbecue grill version. The cross-media <laughs> bar was so easy to navigate, and playing online was free! The controller was really nice to use, except personally, I could never get used to the triggers that were slanted downwards. All in all, a fantastic console and one that I still boot up to play PS3 exclusives on to this day. So there's another little thing that, uh, again, detractors of the Xbox and uh, and pro, uh, pro PlayStation people. Uh, gold. There was no there was no subscription back in these days before uh, PS Plus was required and in the PS4 era to play online. That was another little feather in Sony's cap, wasn't it? And as such, PlayStation Plus, when they introduced that, was a really, really good kind of subscription of, of games. It was like a proto Game Pass in a way. Like, I kind of wonder whether yeah, we would be 100%. having this Game Pass conversation if PlayStation Plus hadn't been what it was back in the day. Because, you know, they didn't have any kind of online subscription to mm -hmm. um, any online kind of play requirement to tie into it. And so all that they could give you was just like a load of really good games every month um playstation plus kind of for me as somebody who doesn't play online kind of lost its value in the mid playstation 4 generation and i think they're um trying to put on a, a good face again at the beginning of playstation 5 but we'll see if it mm. retains its um quality of games or if it goes the way of the ps4 but um but yeah playstation 3 play ps plus was like an absolute gold mine and especially if you down the line picked up a Vita as well, you'd just be loaded with great games to play. Gotcha. Absolutely, yeah. Your library would just grow and grow. And I picked up a Vita later, and I don't think I even had to buy a game because it's just everything yeah. I'd wanted to pick up to play specifically on the Vita was pretty much already there. Um, yeah, there were some absolutely huge games, like, like AAA games that were maybe a year old two years old i might be remembering wrong slightly there no, i think that's right yeah, yeah i mean it started it's it's worth going back on this uh I, i've ended up mentioning this quite a lot in our regular show a number of games that they gave away early on were ps1 classics and minis and stuff like that it was a while before they got into the flow i think it was post the, the hack which we will talk about further when they started giving away slightly more uh premium products shall we say with the PS Plus, but I was a I wasn't a, I wasn't a like month one adopter of PS Plus, but it fairly quickly became apparent that for someone who likes to at least dabble with everything and have access to stuff, um, PS Plus was was a reasonable investment. And I would say of the one hundred games that I've still got installed on my my super slim PS Three, I reckon a huge amount of those are only owned through PS Plus. So there's if i ever let my subscription lapse i reckon my, my sort of the number of games that i quote own will drop quite significantly because that's how that works let's talk a little bit more about the ui 
obviously with this generation of consoles, we probably started to spend more time on the front end than any previous generation, even though you could whack a CD into a PS1 or PS2. Now you might actually yeah, muck around in your front end and look, go to video apps and play films and goodness knows what else. The cross-media bar. What I will say is firing this up today on a 4K TV, it still looks really sharp. Yeah. Mm. I think um, it's a yeah. 1080p, I think, output the for the dashboard screen. When you compare it to what the 360 dashboard looks like now when I fire that up, it's night and day. It looks way more modern and way, way crisper and more, uh, more contemporary. Um, once you get into some of the actual game icons and stuff like that, you start to see the age starts to show a bit. Or, yeah, if you go into the online store and it's all a bit slow and clunky and, and even that's even after several revisions. But actually, um, like I know Carl hates any UI that goes across rather than up and down. I mean, actually, it <laughs> yeah. does both the ex- the cross media bar. You go along and up and down. But... Um, but I just uh, I just become incredibly familiar with it so I can navigate around it just yeah it's a doddle for me um, I don't in terms of what yeah whatever it, it it's it's functional it's fine but actually yeah the thing I wanted to mention was how how it still looks pretty crisp on a on a modern device yeah it sound, sounds good as well nice music did it have the orchestra, nice music I think so it has yeah the tuning the tuning orchestra is the uh is what they went mm. for this time. So after the very spacey sound of the uh, of the PS2 and the famous booming synths of the PS1, they went for this, uh, yeah, this kind of classy. I, I guess yeah. it imp- imp- implies class, doesn't it? Orchestra it's tuning up. Quite minimalist as well with the kind of wavy line in the background. And like I say, I really love the music, the planet's screensaver thing. And so overall, and the font as well. So overall... It just gave this impression of a really minimalist kind of, con- you know, classy consumer electronics device that, uh, you know, I never owned a 360, so I can't directly compare them. But yeah. the 360 that I ever saw at friends' houses always screamed to me just cluttered and Mountain Dew and Doritos and FIFA and whatever. I don't know. <laughs> just like gamer. But as the PS3 was much like smooth and, uh, you know refined with a glass of champagne in one hand it's interesting that you mentioned that it's just cleaner because the thing that the xmb always makes me think of is you know when you get people that clean a house and you get some people are clean and some people are tidy you know and and (laughs) tidy is you shove all your stuff in your drawers and you walk in the room you go oh that's tidy but it's it's like an illusion i see where you're going with absolutely breaking at the seams (laughs) Every sub menu on the XMB yeah. is an absolute mess. Disaster. That comes because back to the uh, the audio uh, thing that I was talking about it, earlier. Yeah. It's exactly that, yeah. And it's it's and not only that. Sometimes you get audio settings in the video part, and sometimes you get some video settings <laughs> in the true. audio part, and, and the folders the, it, it as well. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to have a a thought process to lay stuff out, and and they've, they've since got better, um, and and that used to drive me mad because finding something in the XMB was really problematic. Um, I like the intention of it. Um, it was a better iteration than what they'd had before because, you know, XMBs appeared on Sony TVs and all sorts for a lot of years. Um, um, but it was it was kind of an illusion up front. What I did love about it, however, and it's still my favourite feature 
in this regard that any of the consoles have done is the way that it did theming. Um, you know, with the di- proper dynamic themes. Um, I oh, yeah. on my PS3 have a, f- in my opinion, phenomenal Uncharted Two one of Nathan Drake, you know, bleeding, holding his hand um, mm. to his ribs and staggering through the snows. The snows blowing at him in the background, and it blows me away every time I boot up my PS3 and I see it. Um, and the last time I did this was essentially a year ago now. Um, and I was like, oh, I forgot how good that was. Mm. And that's what I loved about that system. The the PS4 kind of had it, but it wasn't as detailed because it didn't have that level of screen space. Um, the PS5 just seems to have forgotten about them. Um, so and, far. you know, Xbox is so cluttered they'll that you be wouldn't back see a they, proper theme anyway. They'll, 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 they'll do some sums and they'll bring themes to uh, the well, PS5. <laughs> I, ho- I really hope so because the, the PS3 really did give the real estate to have some really impressive themes. And I have some brilliant ones on there, but that, that Nathan Drake one, mm. it, I always come back to that one. Um, and I, I paid money for it, and very happily so. Was this the first? I think this is the first PlayStation I remember, where you hovered over a game and suddenly, you know, a HD kind of splash screen some audio came up, and sometimes. then some audio. Yeah. It would scare the absolute bejesus yeah. out of me. I don't think you, you could turn that off either. The... <laughs> yeah, S- still annoys you're... me to this day. Some of you're them are absolutely... really loud. Yeah, yeah, like Nino Cooney's just like this da da da, and you're like whoa. Yeah. If you accidentally yeah, go Nino Cooney, I remember that one distinctly. <laughs> but I mean, De- Devil May Cry Five Special Edition on PS Five for anyone like that, that just kicks in. That uh, will wake you yeah, up. It's, it's, it's oh, I don't think that, that I don't think has. I have any audio ones on PS Five, or maybe oh, maybe I turned it off. <laughs> but just just that UI decision actually kind of helped foreground the games a little bit because because there was a danger with the XMB not good like lists of stuff and folders and. It, it, it wasn't quite that great but when you hovered over the game you wanted to play or were reminded of a game that was really cool that you might want to play having that splash screen and that audio sting did kind of like pull you into the i mean that's the idea isn't it pull you into the get the world of the game a little bit mm. um and i think that's a nice touch to kind of take over the the ui for a moment annoying in many many circumstances but yeah quite cool in others yeah, they they could vary quite a lot in terms of what how much they took over. Some of them would kind of become a, a an entire screen, wouldn't they? Uh, mm. Whereas some of them would just be would just remain little icon. Some of them would have the sound. Some of them wouldn't. Some of them would do the whole thing. Yeah, I'm not sure what dictated that. I guess whether the developers thought it was worthwhile spending however long it took to implement that. Sludge Wizard from the forum says i never had a ps3 but one of my good friends a few blocks down the road did and because of that i decided to go with a 360 that gen not because of the game library necessarily or because in a pinch i could play on my friend's console if needed but because of my memories of that ps3 constantly updating itself it seemed like every single time we turned that ps3 on we had to wait 20 minutes while it updated and then (laughs) probably 10 or 15 minutes for the game to update my friend didn't turn on his console too, too often, but he played at least once a week. My friends with 360s did not have this problem. I know that this is not entirely fair of me, and I'm sure the updates weren't as long or as numerous as I remember them being, but it was enough for me to go to Microsoft with my one a console a generation money. All the Nathan Drakes and Gods of War in the world couldn't make up for a 35-minute boot-up time, plus a much further 360 controller. Mm, it still happens. Still turn the PS3 on and it, 
updates yep. every so I had an update today. Yep. Or yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, they're still making it unhackable, I guess. Um, yes. I mean, this was a thing that came up a lot. So the 360, for whatever reason and however they did it, was incredibly fast with its game updates. They would just go bink and zoom. The bar would fly up. I think they limited the size on them and uh, maybe did some... Maybe there was did some... they charge for them earlier on? Well, they did. They charged for more than one update per game, but that was that didn't mean that the games weren't updated as much as they were on PS3 on them for the most part. Mm. Part of the key to this was, and I still don't know why this is the case, but it still seems to be, download speeds on PS3 seemed to, seemed to be way slower. Now, I don't know if it's partly the memory size or something like that, or maybe it's just the bandwidth offered by Sony's servers. But yeah, I think it is true anecdotally at least i remember a lot of times reading i don't turn on the ps3 because it'll need updates i'll just play on my 360 yeah. it seems like it actually had a, a damaging effect on like particularly hardcore gamers hearts and minds in the throughout the generation yeah i mean no one wants to to sit around if you, if you, people live by very small time frames to be able to do things right and the idea that actually you're mm. going to miss out on that and you know games update arguably more than ever now um, and I still think back about how frustrating I found it on the PS4, but then, you know, you forget that actually the PS3 was considerably worse in this regard. It was really, really frustrating, and there was no way that you could just play something and update later on. It was nope. like it had to be done. Any memories on this, Ryan? I, I remember you complaining a lot about various aspects of the Xbox One's sort of updates and things like that, but um, did you have issues with the PS3? I don't remember having big issues with the updates themselves, but I do have pretty significant problems. Even going back to it recently, um, I was kind of astounded by how slow it is in deleting anything from the hard drive. So if you're trying to oh, clean yeah. up space, yeah. you have to sit there on the screen while it is like deleting something from your hard drive for a very, very, very long time. And yes. when you're trying to download something from the store as well, it defaults to to downloading the game as like the the point of focus of the entire yeah. machine until yeah. <laughs> it allows you to like eventually click a download in the background button and it's just the entire thing feels really clunky um, in that way. But yeah. going back to the uh, cross media bar, it was I, I thought it was a really effective. Um, it felt like a really kind of clean, really snappy interface to me once you kind of learn your way around everything felt very felt very present and it felt organized to me for my purposes anyways although i hear your mm. complaints as well um about the the way the certain settings were were categorized and housed um i i didn't care for yeah. the well i think on one hand there was um a nice kind of flow chart organization to it where it started off as kind of a horizontal spread. And then as you got into a sub menu, it turned into a vertical spread. And then if you went into a sub menu for that, it would turn into a horizontal spread again. And so in that way, it was kind of easy to keep track of what was mm. on what level, what was kind of in, you know, which layer of, of the organization of the uh, OS. But um, it, it also introduced, I think something that Sony is, maybe still sticking with or maybe has just moved on from in the PlayStation 5, mm. but the um, yeah. PlayStation Store search bar being a vertical 
uh, bar of letters that you scroll through one at a time instead of being a keyboard, mm. <laughs> which, yeah. I mean, it, it it did some kind of fun, like predictive text in a way where if you yeah. entered one letter, it would eliminate all of the other letters that just based on everything in the PlayStation be. store yeah. couldn't possibly follow on from yeah. that. But um, yeah. it just felt like a weird, it felt kind of futuristic in a way, but felt a little bit inelegant once the initial kind of like mm. ooh and ah about the um about the the pure uh audacity of it kind of wore off <laughs> talking of slow the other thing that's uh that's really incredibly slow on the ps3 is uh trophy sinks um oh, so yeah, once you've got these, don't you? yeah so trophies weren't there originally on the ps3 but i guess somebody at sony was going these achievement Doobries are doing quite well for Microsoft, so perhaps we should uh, look at something similar. They went for a similar but different system, but in effect, it's the same thing. It's an overarching way of keeping track of things that you've done in games. They went with a uh, gold, silver, bronze and platinum uh, methodology. And obviously this isn't just PS3 because they've continued it into the, the, the subsequent two generations. Uh, you even get a uh, an overall kind of level number, which is uh, which has recently been uh, reconfigured um but yes one thing the major difference between the trophies and the achievements was with the trophies the world doesn't know that you've won one until you've manually synchronized and if you've now got like as i have in my entire ps library across three four five and vita uh several hundred games when you go to so i won a trophy in uh playstation all-stars for example earlier on and i thought yeah i'm gonna sync that <laughs> um, and it took about uh i don't know eight or nine minutes for it to sync every wow. game in my collection which is uh yeah it's just kind of ridiculous i kind of like the different methodology that sony took from microsoft um i still think like lizard brain wise i still prefer microsoft's method of just kind of contributing every game achievement towards kind of a singular gamer score i think there's something really um really elegant and unifying about that that makes everything feel like you know this is all contributing towards one grander goal that i'm working towards one big number that i can see go up over the years i, I really like that but playstation mm. kind of i think playstation was perhaps trying to sidestep the complaint because this was kind of a late introduction into the seventh generation that um they got to see some of the complaints that people were making about microsoft system and i think some of the things that microsoft was encountering at the time was kind of worthless achievements being farmed yeah. and kind of cheapening the gamer score and yeah. knowing that there are games that you can get and you can get a thousand score within uh, within minutes and sometimes you know games would even be um would even be advertised as being like easy thousand or whatever like that <laughs> yeah, and you do get yeah, that yeah, on playstation yeah. as well but i think the um i think the choice to make each trophy kind of a standalone thing that did contribute to totals but more or less like you're just kind of you're showing off which platinums you have rather than mm. a singular score overall does in a way kind of sidestep the um the problem that microsoft was having so you know while 
like on a whole, I, I prefer Microsoft's method. Um, I, I still think that like it's really valuable that we have both. And I think both do kind of speak to different different kind of achievement mentalities. I, I really like that they took a different step. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've ended up being pretty much like equally happy when I win a trophy or an achievement. Uh, I'm not wedded to one or the other. I'm not obsessed with either, but I enjoy them. Uh, and I know there are plenty of, plenty of people who are part of our community who absolutely either have no interest in trophies and achievements or actively dislike them and turn turn off all notifications and things like that. Uh, whatever is fine, of course, whatever whatever makes you happy. But um, yeah, I, I it goes to show that I've only got two platinum trophies after owning you know all the PlayStations and hundreds of games. I didn't even know I had those Platinums until I looked back a couple of years later to see, oh, had I accidentally got any Platinums for anything? Um, and the sound of the tro- of trophies pinging as a sort of punctuation to gaming experiences, I think is one of the worst things about that generation and going forward that I, you know, I just, I don't associate that sound with accomplishment. I associate it with annoyance and filling up my capture library on PS4 with uh, well, you can turn that screen you can turn that off you can sure, turn but the, yeah but it's it's, op, it's opt out so it means yeah, that yeah. I've still got hundreds of them and I didn't want them and I just don't I but I will say you know fair enough trophy system for people who love that kind of stuff great and and the, the, even just the word platinum does carry a kind of cool weight you know when Shuhei Yoshida says he's platinumed Bloodborne hmm. you're kind of like whoa you know, you you know what that means. There was a great article by Rich Stanton about becoming the Dark Soul, uh, about him achieving the Dark Souls Platinum mm. and kind of all the depths of obsession he went into to, to achieve that. So as a, as a way of measuring how deep someone got into a game, that is quite a lot of fun. And also historically, if you fancy looking back at your older library and finding out when you... You know, so like I think the I think the first big game I ever played on PS3 and beat was Fallout 3, and my trophies tell me that was something like August 2009. That's just quite fun to know. So as a sort of a oh, record yeah. like that, it, I I don't mind it, but it's a great aid yeah. memoir, or it can be uh, as much as anything else. Um, yeah, and obviously we could do a whole show on the the merits and lack or lack thereof of of achievements and trophies. But uh, but obviously, yeah, they started here. And I think what's interesting as regards to the PS3 is, as I say, the fact that they weren't there at the start. And in fact, a lot of games never got them. So there's still a whole bunch of games from early in the in the console's life that didn't ever receive an update for trophies. Uh, and so they remain. Did they have to patch Metal Gear Solid 4 trophies yes. in latterly? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, there's a few games they did that. There was quite a gap between the release and when the trophies arrived for some games. but uh, And as I say, some just never did. Uh, there's, I think, obviously, we had the recent story where Sony was going to shut down the uh, the store for PS3, but uh, it's had a stay of execution. So there are still ways of buying a lot of the stuff on there. And I suspect there's still games on there that don't have trophy support because they were very, very early in the in the console's life. Very minor thing, but trophies also had a bit of a delay in between the time that the flag would trigger in-game and when you would actually be Absolutely. awarded it through the which user gets, interface. Again, it gets slower the more you have, which oh, is okay. not ideal. Yeah, Because there were some developers, like um, 
Double Dragon Neon had a kind of joke achievement that needed to trigger yes. at a very particular point yeah. during a song in the credits. And mm-hmm. um, obviously with the Xbox, it was instant. And so that wasn't a problem, but they had to uh, do some experimentation to um, uh, to be able to make, <laughs> it, to make right. the joke land. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on the PlayStation. That's great. I love that. Things were improved somewhat on PS4 as regards to that delay, but it was still there. But uh, it's one of my favorite things. It's well worth spending whatever it was on a PS5, just so when I win a trophy, it happens instantly. <laughs> so, worth 500 quid or whatever it was in itself. PlayStation Home. Yeah. What a curious beast. We did, as Gamer Dork, our previous podcast, a lot of Kane and Rince listeners won't know this, but Jay and I were involved in a, a very different podcast many years ago, more than a decade ago. We did a thing, probably the most interactive community-based thing we ever did apart from an actual live event was a playstation home invasion where us and a few dozen people all got dressed up in silly costumes and basically went into playstation home and danced and we captured all the footage and jay edited virtually not literally virtually (laughs) you all got together and got dressed up in costumes no 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 in playstation home (laughs) uh we all yeah we all did silly dances because you could do all these dances and moves so um yeah and it, it's a fond memory even though that was pretty much the only time i engaged with playstation home so what was playstation home anyone want to try and explain it? it it was a social hub that i learned on a youtube video earlier grew out of the getaway sequel was supposed to have an online component and uh, called the hub and it didn't quite work out and i didn't finish the video so i imagine phil harrison kind of thought oh this should evolve into something and i I caught a bit of phil harrison talking absolute nonsense about you know in-game connectivity and the players make the experience and blah 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 blah. but basically a social hub um second life ish but stiffer stiffer and less uh uh, customizable all sexy and uh bowling there was a bowling alley with arcade yeah. games in it and there's a sort of town square you had your own apartment where i'm sure microtransactions were involved and probably made so. them quite a lot of money but but basically i think it was just an early thing to download and try to make you feel like this was a new you know new gen and different mm. from the previous consoles and you know it just if you hadn't tried online communities and stuff like that, it was probably quite novel um, and, and yeah. nice looking with the 3D graphics as well. Probably a bit nicer looking than other online games like that. I'd say the concept was better than the reality in my experience. Mm. PlayStation Home was a really uh, was kind of a puzzling thing, historically speaking, because I think that there is some value to having this kind of social hub built into the... Uh, built into the console. I think Nintendo did it really well with Miiverse, actually. I think, you know, people kind of took the mick out of Miiverse at the beginning, but as the Mm. Wii U kind of grew on and on, and as that was added to the 3DS, I think people ended up really warming up to the kind of quirkiness of Miiverse. Uh, But this was um, kind of a proto Miiverse in that way. I mean, it really followed on closely from Second Life, and it has a very strange history because the technology wasn't good like it didn't work very well and i don't think that <laughs> no. even people that liked playstation home uh would say that it was a well-made experience because there were 
uh, like you would have to queue up to do these digital activities <laughs> yeah. in real queues yeah. that would take hours to get through <laughs> at their most yeah. popular times. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't a menu of games for you to enjoy. It didn't open up private lobbies. Like everybody was interacting with the same objects like you would be if you all went to the same real world location uh which is just a very strange uh idea but the thing was that like i many of the developers um you know as it was kind of like a later addition to the playstation 3 ecosystem uh i mean before launch i think it was there for launch or shortly after but like it wasn't something that sony was anticipating a huge amount of time beforehand it was something that was kind of thrown together rather quickly towards the end and they tried to kind of get a lot of their first party studios on board with creating things for um for playstation home and you know the the first party studios kind of made an attempt at it but a lot of them yeah. lost interest and you know once they saw the technology that was running it they kind of thought like this is this is bad i'm not going to waste my time and so mm-hmm. you know most of the first party studios just kind of washed their hands of it and said like ah, it's just not good enough people are going to drop this immediately but it ended up being way more popular than it had any right to be and i think it was just because of a small group of people who kind of kept it alive and kind of made it their social gathering space and became i guess what um mobile developers would later call whales uh they they bought a ton of stuff and so it was like third or fourth tier studios that were kind of left with the tab of developing all the stuff for playstation home because all of the studios with a lot of sway just kind of said like we're not wasting our time with it but then those third or fourth tier studios ended up making buttloads of money because these (laughs) whales would just buy everything that you threw at them regardless of the price and so these studios just started raking it in (laughs) it was it was a very strange because like nobody really liked what it was but still it made a ton of money for the studios who invested in it (laughs) right i i think it might have been my first uh encounter with a console indie game with echo chrome i assume echo chrome is an indie game or it's a very small game in the arcade in the bowling alley might be a sony game but Um, but it was so it was just a very cool kind of, I guess, a little bit Ready Player One-ish experience of like getting the PS3 and it being very new, trying out PlayStation Home and it being very different to anything I'd done before, and then playing a bit of Echo Chrome and finding it very striking and weird and different and small to what I was anticipating playing on the PlayStation 3. I think that was the beginning of me kind of opening up my brain. Like I downloaded demos and stuff on PC further into the past but but this was the first time on a console that felt like ritzy and new and 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 an indie game being presented by a big by sony you know by in this kind of very official way that felt quite cool and edgy in a way Mm. yeah so the the updates were slow the frame rate was variable at best Uh, you would often be greeted by dozens and dozens of glass outlines of (laughs) unfilled uh avatars there were always updates, uh, referring back to that previous topic. Uh, it was often update, you know, because people were adding promotional areas and different rooms and whatever else. And the absurdity was that 
as Ryan said, the queuing system was insane, but there were multiple instances. We found this out when we uh, when we tried the the home invasion thing. Is that it? It was. It took a while for us all to actually arrive in the same instance. Um, so you know, theoretically, they, there was no need for queuing, but I guess there just weren't enough instances for all the people who wanted to play the pretty ropey bowling game or chess. <laughs> but yeah. What a strange thing. It could have been massive, I think, or something like it could have been massive. But um, maybe via, maybe maybe when they uh, when they bring the next gen VR to PS5, they'll bring back something like PlayStation Home, a virtual yeah. a virtual meeting hub in VR for PS. We've uh, seen the success of stuff like Rec Room uh, in VR ever since. And uh, Second Life obviously still has a community <laughs> to this day. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the, the talk of the, like the metaverse... You know, with Ready Player One on people's minds and talk of Fortnite and the metaverse or whatever, you can see someone trying it again, can't you? Yeah, Fortnite, gosh. That's probably what this would be in modern days. Yeah. I I mean, Nintendo taught them that you've got to get the bowling right. If you get the bowling (laughs) right, you can convince 100 million people to come on board. Hmm. Another little app that I'd not forgotten about because it still exists you can still do this on your pc and it's a good thing to do but this is where i first encountered folding at home was on a ps3 i think it was pre-installed or it was it was promoted on the cross media bar effectively this is the the project between a partnership between sony and stanford university and the idea is that you lent some of your ps3's mighty for the time processing power into uh, the protein, the communal protein folding program. And some of that data could be used to progress medical science in terms of treating things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, cancer even. Uh, it was eventually shut down in so 2011, 2012, something like that. So it ran for several years. Uh, and uh, I think 15 million PS3 owners contributed to the program so there were a hundred million computation hours for researchers it's i mean why not why why was this a one and done thing for five years 10 20 years ago like 15 years ago why why if that's you know it sounds like a really valuable kind of much more noble than uh, mining for bitcoin as well Uh, the only thing that i've seen that really reminds me of this since then was uh borderlands 3 had a a mini game that you could play that translated to that's right like scientific <laughs> uh gene mapping or something like that um mm-hmm. kind of a clever integration there that i don't know how often that was uh, yeah. engaged with but cool to see that people are still trying it in some ways yeah but yes i used to leave mine running um but yes listener if you're interested uh just google folding at home and you can contribute some computing power to the health of future human beings, possibly even existing human beings. Uh, we've already talked really about the controller. Actually, let's talk a little bit more about the triggers because one of our correspondents mentioned it. This was uh, a, a, a thing. Uh, so they changed the, if there's one thing they changed about the DualShock 2, it was the the, the slant on the lower triggers or the lower buttons was added. I was one of many people I know of who sent off for some clip-on things called real triggers, uh, which I still have on my DualShock 3 to this day. Uh, did anyone think that was an uh, an ergonomic improvement? 
I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know any better, so I don't know that I hated it. I just know that the controller was so familiar in my hands as a PlayStation player before that. Um, and I wasn't, you know, a shooter. I played plenty of shooters, but never, you know, competitively or online or anything like that. So I don't think that it really occurred to me, apart from probably I just had a worse experience on driving games than I would have done with a better controller or, yeah, uh, some uh, add-ons. I think the controller is the is the kind of Achilles heel of the PlayStation 3. I just think it's a not a good controller um, just in general. Like I think that there's a lot of impressive technology built into it. Um, it does, it feels very light. It, it, it's just frustrating that the design hadn't evolved alongside the console, like the, using the same controller that they've been using ever since the mid-generation PlayStation 1, essentially, um, just means mm, that like, yeah. it just felt like they were kind of surrendering so many years of, of knowledge and learning since then and just going with like a very, um, I mean, at the time, like you were competing with the Xbox 360, which a lot of people still prefer the Xbox 360 pad for PC gaming. Like even now that, Microsoft is two generations on with its own kind mm. of improvements and revisions to that controller. Like Xbox 360 controller is, uh, I mean, in my opinion, like one of the all-time greats. Like it feels incredible. And then to just to play with the PlayStation 3, which doesn't feel ergonomic. The I, I think the triggers are like, I kind of see what they're going for. Like they kind of prioritize the sponginess of like a car pedal for racing games rather than like the, the feeling of clicking the trigger all the way in that you would need for like a shooter uh to be able to kind mm. of tell the binary on off um and then let the kind of analog uh, fill in the in-between space like the xbox 360 did but just the the fact that the the slope of the trigger was in towards the pad rather than outwards to kind of cradle your finger it feels like it was mm. a very puzzling choice and i'm glad that mm. playstation has updated their pad since then you know the playstation 4 was kind of like a half step into things that we had learned in the intervening years and it was i think okay but then the playstation 5 controller i feel despite the sticks still the left stick still being in uh, a position that I do not prefer. I will not say the wrong position, which is the meme term, but the position that I do not prefer. <laughs> um, I think the PlayStation <laughs> five controller overall is a very comfortable controller. I prefer yeah. the PS4 controller to the PS five controller. Okay. This is not that show. I find yeah. it more comfortable. I just find the the prongs on the PS five are a bit fat. But, uh, yeah. Oh, so the D-pad on the PlayStation sort of. Three is very good for fighting games. So all your Street Fighters uh -huh. and stuff like that. If you're a D-pad player, then uh, it's it's great for that. Yuffie, Yuffie uses PS One, but yeah, there were a few issues with the controller that I had. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, the trigger's been one. It was far too easy for your finger to slip, slip off, off in, yeah. you know, in the height of battle. But I've also got very long thumbs, so the joystick <laughs> great for the, hitchhiking. The, the <laughs> yeah, ph phenomenal. I've never been. I've never been stranded long. Um, the the controller itself, obviously, with the stick position, meant that. I, and they did slightly elongate the controller for the PS4, and again for the PS5. But one of the issues that that resulted in the PS3 was that 
quite often my thumbs would collide with each other. Wow. Which is not great when you're trying to aim and move at the same time. And that, we that shouldn't was do quite body a shaming, but that... you freak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it is a small controller. It's a small controller. It feels it. <laughs> it, it. It really is. And then even there's Cal, also the joysticks even Carl were also. Moon gets the blues. Is... <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, even even the uh, and the joysticks, of course, were um, convex, so that they were easy to slip off. So yeah. um, I I did have some little clip-on triggers for the for the triggers themselves. Yeah, yeah. I had some little click-on. Um, joystick adapters that turned them into dimples, and what a difference that made! I mean, I think it cost me about six quid for them um, from Shop Two many, many years ago now, and uh, it ab- absolutely changed my happiness and willingness to use the PS3 again as a console because I, I, yeah. I you know, with with the the struggle of anything that was essentially non-first party um, or, or non-exclusive. I, I did tend to steer away from the PS3, and a large part of that was the discomfort and frustration of using the yeah. PS3 controller. Um, so, yeah, yeah, just simple things that should have been ergonomically quite obvious of trying to stop your thumbs slipping off the joysticks yeah. and your fingers slipping off the triggers. Mm. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure what evidence they had that that would be a good idea, but, you know, common sense would seem to be yeah. that it wasn't. And none of those things that you could buy that you know you didn't necessarily want to have to anyway because controllers were already getting quite expensive by this point because of all the yeah. various tech inside none of them would fix the dead zone on the analog sticks which was still an issue with the dual shock 3 as well one of the weird things about the PlayStation 3 controller as well uh that was a carry on from the PlayStation 2 was the pressure sensitive face buttons which yeah. i think i've only ever seen metal gear solid use and yeah. only optionally and sparingly <laughs> like it's just such a weird thing. But it's so unused that I'd forgotten about it. Yes, yeah, the last last game I can think of using it on was, um, yeah, like GTA Vice City and Metal Gear Solid 2 on the PS2. <laughs> I think Gran Turismo did benefit from it as yeah. well. But, um, if you want to use the face buttons for, for whatever reason. But, you know, I, I know uh, Ryan men- uh, mentioned earlier about kind of the, the feel of the triggers um, and the buttons had the same way. Everything on that controller felt a little bit spongy mm-hmm. and, and and a little bit imprecise, a bit like even the dead zone on the sticks that you mentioned. So it was a bit... Um, it, it just never felt like that should have been the final product. It felt like it was the one to get us to where we are. Unfortunately, yeah. the getting us to where we are was a lot of years before the PS4. Yeah. Um, and, and the PS4 was a, a um, humongous improvement over over the controller. Um, but yeah, I, I just felt that I had problems with pretty much everything that that controller did, except for the D-pad. Were there any third-party options? I'm seeing on my list of potential devices here, a Logitech cordless precision controller. Was that a was that a viable third-party option, perhaps? There always are third-party options, <laughs> but I never saw them widely used uh, going to anyone's no. home uh, who owned PlayStation no. 3s. No. Mm. no. And I did experience some third-party options on the Xbox and on the PS4 since. And, I mean, we're talking good brands like Nikon and Razer. And yeah. they weren't great either. Mm. There was a, a light gun, the last generation uh, that I can think of, that had a an actual, you know, not, in count, not in, including things that you shoved a Wii remote into to make it into a gun. But there was an actual GunCon 3. For PS3, I'm not sure exactly how it worked. Did it use the camera, PlayStation camera, or something like that? Because famously, 
uh, light guns don't work on modern TVs, right? That's been the issue with light gun games in recent years. I wonder if it required uh, a CRT because PlayStation 3 was kind of at the tail end when a lot of people oh, still had CRTs. That's actually a really good point. Maybe it was as simple as that. Yeah, I think it's possible it had its own sensors that, that like with the Wii, also an that you would would put it on, yeah. on top of the TV. Um, okay, yeah. that's possible. Yeah, and of course, light gun games did make a bit of a comeback with the advent of the PlayStation Move, although it does feel slightly weird pointing the, uh, the old dildo ball, as we used to call it, at the screen rather than something that looks and feels like a firearm. But we'll talk maybe a little bit more about some mm. of those gaming options later. Uh, obviously, memory. The the first uh, version of the uh, the PS3 came with uh, a, was it like a multi card slot that you could put memory sticks in and stuff. But they just yeah. Uh, what I what I again was it just so you could use it to look at your photo digital photos or what? I didn't really understand a purpose, and and it made sense that this was one of the first things they pulled out along with two USB ports for the uh, for the for the cheaper model. Wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have a clue. It, it, it felt like they were trying to put as much of everything as they could onto the console. Anything that's made know, by Sony, you can shove in it somewhere. Yeah, except yeah, for I'm USB saying. ports, because it was the thing for rock band owners. We'd have to plug in like a USB extender if they wanted the that's right. Wanted all their instruments to be plugged into the PlayStation yeah. 3, whereas the Xbox 360 could handle them all natively. Uh, yeah, I'd... Yeah, yes. I had a, I had a, I had an I had a, a Xbox Rock Band debris for my 360 though, uh, but maybe it just came in the package. Um, yes, it was it 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 was curious that the first advent of the the PS3 the first model had all those USB ports because at that point there was no Rock Band, and so what would you need? Why at what point would you need four USB ports on a PS3 in 2006? Well, like I say, I think they were just hedging. Mm. that this might become a device that did more uh, and that you might want to plug yeah, more future. Yeah. Since you know, it's literally universal serial bus, you know. So I think it was just like over-engineering, mm. consumer electronics thought process of just like, let's just throw everything in here because we can. Um, it was, I mean, it's the first PlayStation, isn't it, that that I remember USB being a thing and obviously with... with um, pads that were wireless but i still remember having to plug it in a lot and and just fiddle around with the front of the console that i don't remember being quite so much as an issue with with previous playstations i mean i shouldn't complain it's the one console where i've never ran out of usb parts to use yeah (laughs) you know i still have that problem now with the xbox series x and the ps5 yeah more usb parts please Mm, why not uh so that famous three week spell just over three weeks 10 years ago now in 2011 kind of what months did it right was it i remember it was like april may springtime something like that april yeah it was definitely around those months. yeah the psn hack so some 77 million network users affected by an outage prompted by data breach uh everyone I, I remember at the time obviously we were in the era of social media by that point twitter was becoming quite popular and so there was a lot of discussion about this and on forums and places like that and uh yeah it was it was a remarkable time because suddenly a lot of us who were playing things like killzone regularly overnight couldn't play uh and 
we were expecting it to come back any time and it did three and three and odd weeks later uh embarrassing and expensive for sony ryan you said you've got a bit of a story with this 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 sounds interesting yeah this is unfortunately kind of my prevailing memory of the playstation 3 for a system i like so much <laughs> um mm. yeah so i uh, this would have been after the hack um a little bit after that uh, so not kind of concurrent to that time but i remember seeing i think it was like five hundred dollars charged to my uh to my credit card um for fifa points which mm. i have never played a fifa mm. game i have no desire to invest in that ecosystem um mm. so I, I call up sony and say okay it sounds like sounds like an account hack um change your password and call your bank and just have them cancel the charge and so i did that and then um they like banned me from uh from the playstation network which not only meant that I couldn't play online, which fine, whatever, I don't care. But also I didn't have access to any of the online purchases that I had made um, unless they were already downloaded onto my system. So I couldn't download, yeah. I couldn't re-download anything. I couldn't make any new purchases. I couldn't access my PlayStation Plus, which still had an active subscription. Um, uh. And so I, you know, I called them back again and... Um, basically said like why did you ban me i did exactly what you told me to do um and you know they they gave me the runaround for a very long time until i uh you know i started complaining on um i think like reddit and different web forums because a few other people were experiencing this at the same time and uh i think i had been like my story had been noticed by uh, some sort of one of the journalistic outlets and they had kind of quoted um, some of the things that I had said and some of my experience uh, in, you know, trying to recover my PlayStation account. It, it went down a, a long rabbit hole of, oh gosh, here's nothing. I haven't thought about this in a long time. So at the beginning, my account had been taken over and like transferred ownership to somebody who lived in north africa i think it was um mm. one of the north african countries i'm not remembering which um but so i had to call sony to get my account back to myself and i i was able to prove that i was myself because the credit card and the address and everything that had ever been associated with my playstation account was under my name and so i was able to kind of like you know prove that i was who i who I said I was, but there were like three or four instances of it going back to this other person because they had stolen my account once. And so they were able to go through the same system and say, Hey, you can check the previous addresses on this. And one of them is mine because I was one of the previous owners of this account. And so like I, I called Sony so many times to try to like tug of war my account back and forth because um, mm. because the person who had stolen my account, I, I guess they had listed as like another owner of it. And so they were able to make a claim to it as well. And so it, it was mm. so frustrating because like I could explain to them like this person stole my account. You could see the entire paper trail. You can see that they had, 
you know, it had been mine for years and then they had intruded upon it and then they were quickly kicked out, but like they couldn't mark that as being a, um, as being like an uninvited intruder or anything like that. Like it, it was like, they were just permanently associated with the account from that point forward. And it was so, so frustrating uh, until eventually like I rose such a stink about it online and, you know, the, um, games journalism articles that would uh that quoted me and stuff like that that eventually one of sony's lawyers got in touch and said what's what's going on i explained the entire situation again whining you and you're making us look bad (laughs) yeah essentially because like the way that sony was positioning it was well hey if you want to get back online again then pay the 500 dollars for the fifa points that we are down now um and i like I wasn't ready for a worldwide corporation as big as Sony to essentially be holding my account hostage for something that wasn't that was no. their fault. Uh, it was. How old were you at this point, by the way? Like nineteen? I was in. Uh, I was in grad school while this was going down, so I would have been probably around twenty. Um, yeah, scary stuff. Yeah, it's, it's horrible, and a lot of money for a twenty-year-old. Yeah, yeah, certainly, especially one who's trying to go through grad school in the United States. It's terrible. Yeah, mm. right. Well, it's your fault for getting addicted to FIFA Ultimate Team, um, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, what a nightmare. Yeah, uh, for me, you know, it was just like, ah, I'll play my 360 until it comes back. Uh, and I'm guessing Carl was in a similar boat. I was actually working at sea at the time. So that's how oh, I know yeah. it must have been earlier <laughs> in the year. So I was working Didn't on the ships at all. and I, I was away. Yeah. yeah, I was away two weeks at a time and I was like, eh. And yeah. I, I just remember the whole um, brawry around the fact that Microsoft had been offering two-factor authentication and people had been calling it for ages on, on Sony. Yeah. Um, and Sony just seemed unwilling to put it in there. And then, yeah. you know, this happens and it just really kind of elevated the whole... Unsurprisingly, they're really hot on it care. now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. almost, you know, you should be doing that in advance of these things. Like, yes. Um, but I, I just remember working away on the ship and it was because i mean this was headline news in in the uk like it was on all the news and everything yeah it made um, it to the I government thinking, uh house of representatives did, yeah. in the us cost sony uh, 171 million dollars in the end they said although yeah still only a fraction of red ring of death but similarly bad pr yeah and i, I just remember being on the ship and thinking well i wonder if my ps3 is locked down and yeah when this all rectifies, I wonder what I'll get out of it. And it was like that that was it. I mean, I wasn't in the same boat that Ryan was where yeah. you know, you're jumping around desperately trying to reclaim stuff. I was just like, eh. We'll what was the ultimate resolution, out. Ryan? Did you you get that far? I mean, ultimately I ended up getting my account back after the lawyer got involved, but um I mean I still kind of have in the back of my mind that like this person from North Africa could reclaim uh my account at any time because <laughs> Sony has such like a terrible system yeah. for just like not yeah. not caring about the account security like they're still a part of my account history and could make a claim at any point in time so it could all go away again just very frustrating mm. yeah i just remember it as like a big i think it was around the time i was starting to get interested in games websites and news again and podcasts and things like that and it being a you know a big hoo-ha 
Uh, but I mostly remember it for for free games afterwards. For yeah. Wipeout HD and Infamous. I'm sure there compensation was compensation was was nice. Yeah. Yeah, and and just not having considered those games before, and really loving both games. I think Infamous was possibly a few years old by that point, but no, it was uh, it was well two years old. I think. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was pretty new. I mean, uh, frustratingly, I had all the games <laughs> that they gave away <laughs> already, but I didn't feel like in a position to complain. Yeah, uh, but, but I Wipeout HD. Um, yeah, so I won't I won't go into the actual games themselves, but um, yeah, I just remember coming out kind of on top after yeah. the whole. Yeah, act. they gave uh, in America it was it was five PS3 and four PSP games in uh, and the same in uh, Europe. Germany got a slightly different selection because of uh, Germany's sort of censorship and and violence laws. Asia and Japan got different games again, but yeah, it was essentially you got like. A bunch of games for the inconvenience, uh, which obviously was part of the 117 million dollars that uh, that Sony would have called for losses on that. Uh, yeah. I, I suspect, actually, I, I don't know whether that includes like all the PlayStation Home microtransactions that would have been <laughs> spent during that time. I mean, uh, in some ways, you could probably say that Sucker Punch did quite well out of it by yeah, having probably. one of their their titles yeah. thrust forward to millions of people. Um, mm. And you know, go on to Ghost of Tsushima today and being first party. I, 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 w- I don't think I would have particularly been that fussed about Infamous. Certainly, Infamous One. Uh, otherwise, mm. yeah, I don't. I'm not sure Infamous Two did that well, but uh, but yes, it was it was probably yeah, as you say, helpful in some ways. But yeah, I, I think maybe I had some of the games I had on disc, so at least yeah, it meant that I had digital copies and I could compensate myself by uh by trading in the the actual physical copies of little big planet i think and, and maybe infamous as well but nothing really like that has happened since has it that i can think of i know there's been a few attacks and ddos type scenarios with xbox live but we've there's never been anything as epic as a three-week outage in the entire console space since then has there that i can think of it's fairly much gone down as legend yeah nothing that bad Jobo Bonobo from the forum says, Of all Sony's home consoles, this is the one that I have the least experience with. My old flatmate had a PS3 that I would play on occasionally, and then a friend of mine gave me his one when he got himself a new PS4. But my job at the time meant that I had little free time, and when I was home even playing the PS3 seemed like extra work, so the PS3 was comparatively neglected. I found the PS3 to be a step down from the previous PlayStation consoles. The PS3 was disappointing on multiple fronts for me, It didn't have the strengths of the other consoles, such as the large indie library and mandatory demos for said titles of the Xbox 360 and the eclectic, quirky lineup of the Wii. If I had time to check out the Ratchet and Clank series or Yakuza games and other stuff that I was sure to enjoy, I probably would have fonder memories of it. But that was not the case for me. I certainly had memorable experiences on the PS3, such as Little Big Planet, Portal 2, 3D Dot Game Heroes and Rayman Legends. They had something which I felt was so lacking in most titles of the era, a distinctive art style which might have drawn me to check them out in the first place. In conclusion, the PS3 was a letdown to me, as it felt like it was merely responding to what its competition was doing and not setting the foundations of the gaming landscape like its insanely influential predecessors did. Sony might have been getting a bit too big for its britches and definitely got off on the wrong foot with their high price tag and giant enemy crab memes. However, I think they certainly learnt from their mistakes. Perhaps the PS3 had to stumble to make the PS4 soar. 
Yeah, let's talk a bit about the Library of Games. As always, listener, if we don't talk about your favourite game or the one you think deserves it, we can't possibly talk about all the games. We're going to talk for about an hour on the entire library of PS3, of which there were, well, the best number I could find was actually just the number of entries on Wikipedia, but it's, I, don't think, I don't think that's nearly all of them. Uh, so I've got a number of 2,278 games released <laughs> for the PS3 during its 10-year lifespan, but I suspect it's uh, considerably more than that if you include all the rarities and obscurities and, yeah, all the niche stuff and whatever else. Uh, we did mention this earlier. Uh, we're, we're mainly focused on exclusives and stuff with, with a few exceptions uh, and notable titles. But uh, but I do think it's worth saying that for those of us who are kind of multi-format heads and console agnostic, it was notable uh, that earlier in the generation there were some demonstrably inferior versions of multi-platform games on PS3. Specifically and often mentioned are the Orange Box, which was a third-party conversion, as was Bayonetta. And I remember certain people doing some ridiculous mental gymnastics to try and argue that Bayonetta was better on the PS3, even when <laughs> Platinum and Sega themselves were saying, we're sorry, this is a really bad version of Bayonetta. There was a third party port of uh, conversion of Bioshock. And disappointingly, while in no way bad, Red Dead Redemption was patently higher resolution and had a better frame rate on the 360. However, Skyrim Skyrim's also missing. From well, list. Skyrim is a yeah that's a kind of that's a slightly it's a side case because it was a yeah it was a actually a a technical issue but it's well worth mentioning you're right mm. uh, a memory leak caused the game to get worse and worse the more you played it and the further you went into it so yes um but actually wouldn't that ultimately lose your save file or something i seem to remember there was something that would that would really damage your save file or it would possibly your save file as a result of it they did patch the heck out of it to the point that it was functional in the end yeah. that's that's the other thing whereas the other cases i mentioned stayed inferior um but later in the generation things got a lot better valve for console obviously it was a pc game first and foremost but they led on ps3 for portal 2 and so that was a very nice version of that game nothing wrong with a 360 version and then rockstar managed to gain or get com almost complete parity, if not slightly better versions of, of Max Payne 3 and GTA 5 on PS3. The yeah. thing is, looking at all this list, I, I, I never owned a 360. I played through all of Half-Life 2 in the PS3 orange box and Episode 1 and Portal and Bioshock and Red Dead Redemption beat all of them and they were fine. I mean... And yeah. Skyrim. We're talking you about know, side by side comparisons, you know. Yeah, they're... exactly. So so yeah. but if if you only had the one console, these games were absolutely playable and completable as far as my experience. Oh yeah, was. they weren't yeah, they weren't they were other than Skyrim with which as I say did ultimately get somewhat fixed. Uh, they weren't actually broken. Uh, probably the worst of those examples is the, is the infamous Bayonetta version which is so far below Oof. yeah i mean it, it was they they farmed it out to a to an inexperienced studio they gave them virtually no time to do it and uh and it's uh yeah it's really not a very good version but the others of course if you only had a ps3 i'm not saying you wouldn't have enjoyed those games i'm just saying that if you had both consoles and you were aware there's no way you would have chosen the ps3 versions over the over the 360 versions 
of course, all the PC gamers are listening going, why would you play any of those on <laughs> console at all? Uh, well, because Red Dead Redemption never came to PC. That's yeah, why. that would be my answer. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> if I'd had a powerful PC at the time, that's where I would have played Bioshock, I guess. Anyway, uh, third drawing says, I was one of those early adopters of the PS3 and I still have my 60 gigabyte beast. Best of all, region free. What an amazing step in the right direction for games. And it allowed me to play all kinds of imports from Asia and Europe that I would never have been able to play otherwise. Yeah, this was one area that I think Sony were very forward thinking. Finally, after years and years of frustrating regional lockout, basically, and particularly for those of us in the PAL territories getting actually inferior games, that was over. We could just buy things from Asia, assuming, you know, you could get them here and they didn't cost an arm and a leg. You could buy Demon Souls on import. You could buy American imports and they would just work and they would be exactly the same. And that was pretty magical. Xbox did not allow this, although there are some games which are region free themselves on the Xbox 360, which is curious. We've covered a ton of the games that are probably notable on the PS3 on the Cana Rinse podcast before. You can seek out all those old episodes on uh, Spotify and the Apple Store and your podcast capture tool of choice. But uh, some notable ones, obviously Heavenly Sword Ninja Theory was very much a PS3 joint. It was shown off as something of a uh, like a tentpole for the early PS3 market. As I recall, hair, you always need hair, don't you, to show off 3D hair tech and mm. red hair yeah. tech. Yeah. Uh, there were things uh, that didn't come to 360, like Oddworld Strangers Wrath HD and Akami HD. Obviously, bear in mind that some of these have since been remastered and ported across, but at the time, some of these were console exclusive. Heavy Rain, we did a podcast on that. <laughs> uh, that was the last of our swearing podcasts. People should uh, definitely check that out. It is a <clears throat> piece of entertainment in and of itself. Yes, it's it perhaps goes away slightly from the usual Kate and Rinse remit, but uh, <laughs> but in a, in an amusing way. Uh, but I kind of agree with everything that Jay says about it. So. <laughs> a playground kicking, <laughs> yeah, something like that. Killzone two and three from Guerrilla, of course, which were uh, big sort of tech showcases and games that were developed solely and exclusively for PS3 and arguably got a lot out of the tech. Demon's Souls, which of course took a while to arrive outside of Asia and then outside of America, but it did and became somewhat legendary. Uh, the first two Little Big Planet games, of course, we talked about those in a podcast. It, it's worth mentioning just on Demon's Souls very, mm. very quickly about sure. how the souls genre kind of reached these shores i know that there's a couple of uk journalists keza mcdonald one of them who sort of you know in a humble way slightly uh claim responsibility mm. for kind of popularizing them here making them into the the cult classics and bringing people's attention to them um you know it, it's you know they didn't they didn't kind of sell it to the whole world and like make it this giant popular thing it was it, it was its own success but um there's something about demon souls as a as a console exclusive and and still not available that version available anywhere else mm. um something very cult classic about it it's like the ultimate it's yeah. the uh cult classic 
100 percent uh yeah and obviously we had had i remember playing a demo of king's field and earlier from software rpg on official playstation one magazine back in the day but it, they never caught on in the way that demon souls did i'm not sure exactly what was responsible i'm sure it was a combination of factors uh word of mouth obviously and yes uh journalists and certain influential people of the time realizing that it was uh it was a bit special uh Little Big Planets, one or two mentioned that. Uh, Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of the Patriots, remains a the only way you can play that game, right, is on a PS3. There's as, as there's probably never going to be a, a an HD remaster for current gen or even the following gen. So if you want to be an owner of the complete Metal Gear Solid saga, you have to own a PS3, unless I'm... You can play it on PlayStation now, but essentially streaming tech. Uh, not quite the same thing. Streaming yeah. tech. Okay. Huh. No, well, that, yeah, I, I guess that counts. Is, yeah. it, is it okay to just say quickly on Little Big Planet? Mm. The first time I saw that game and heard it, I was really, that's the one that kind of sold me on Next Gen in a way that the smoothness of the graphics and Stephen Fry's voiceover and Media Molecule's charm, you know, the very opening tutorial level was just seemed to me to be groundbreaking, like a really futuristic experience in some ways and also the the licensed soundtrack in that game mm. um there was just something about that f- very first game i didn't get into the creative stuff whatever but just that first no. impression <laughs> of the tutorial level was so fantastic not many did <laughs> ratchet and clank future a crack in time we did a podcast on that one still our only ratchet and clank show i think up to this point maybe there'll be more someday we did infamous one and two in one podcast i think we did uh, the Uncharted trilogy, of course, the first three games in that saga, separate shows, uh, The Last of Us, God of War 3, another one that has a PS4 remaster, as do Flower and Journey and Flow, Papo and Yo, we did a podcast on that. It's also on, I think it's also on PC, but it, uh, it wasn't on Xbox 360, Sound Shapes and Dyad, Dear Departed Sean, uh, Quiet Paul from the forum says for me this was the worst iteration of the playstation not bad by any means just not as good as any others in my opinion when i got my ps3 it was to play metal gear solid 4 and that was pretty much it i absolutely loved that game i did play the odd game i remember buying the uncharted games for about a fiver each in cx and still to this day haven't finished them i didn't like the look of most of the other exclusives at the time and anything i could play on 360 and get achievements for i'd just play them on that the PS3 has by far the smallest collection of games that I own. But cast our minds back to 2006 and the game, uh, the games that the Japanese model launched with were, well, headlined by a British developed shooter, Resistance Fall of Man, at a time when first person shooters still weren't massively popular in Japan, as I recall. But we also had Ridge Racer 7, Genji, Days of the Blade, Sega Golf Club, who I don't remember that at all. Did it even come out over here? Uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, always a Gundam game. Target Insight. There's always a Mahjong game in Japan as well, Fight Club Online. And there was a digital game early on called Blast Factor. And I didn't know, but that was Bluepoint Software's first ever <laughs> game. It wasn't very well received, hence I've never played it. The US uh, launch lineup. Which of these did you have, Ryan? Uh, any memories of any of the games here? Uh, I mean, I played Call of Duty 3, Marvel Ultimate Alliance on 360, but that doesn't really help us out. And then Tony Hawk's Project 8, of course. Huge fan of that series, but again, 
360 at the time. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I think they were all fairly similar. European launch titles. Uh, well, it was, uh, it was a pretty that's massive swollen list by that point, wasn't it? I guess that's the advantage, if you will, of a delayed release. We even got Sonic the Hedgehog 06, apparently. <laughs> uh, another one I remember seeing running in a store before I had a PS3 was uh, Virtual Fighter 5 which did come to 360 a little while later uh but was it had a window of exclusivity on the PS3 and that was tempting to me but not quite 400 pound tempting uh what else do we remember folks from from the list of games that we have here I'm not going to read them all out Call of Duty 3 was okay uh, I seem to remember playing the campaign quite a few times I was kind of into World War 2 history at the time right and it was just it was kind of all the games were brown at that time. It was, you know, maybe the apex of the browning. But in Call mm. of Duty 3, it's supposed to be brown because it's World War II, everyone's covered in mud. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I remember enjoying the campaign quite a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Fear. Was Fear already out on PC before this? And this oh, was yes. a, a port. Yeah. yeah. yeah Sometime yeah. earlier. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it was a, a mighty impressive kind of. PC graphics card chomping game for its time fear and uh but the I played it on 360 and uh they did an okay job with the uh, with the port maybe flow gets a special mention as Austin Wintery's first I think first game score with uh, that game company as well ah, cool uh, any of these sports games Carl I know you're pr- partial to a bit of NBA there seems to be quite good representation <laughs> for US sports and and so on in this launch lineup uh, no, I, I didn't actually play these NBA 2K titles. And, you know, a lot like Ryan, the, many of the games that are in the launch lineup, I actually played on Xbox 360 yeah. um, beforehand. So, I, I mean, as I said, I picked up Resistance Fall of Man and Motorstorm and then mm. uh, Tekken Dark Resurrection. But within the week of me getting that console, I did go to the shop and buy the now three-generational uh, title of Virtual Fighter Five. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of surprised by a few of these titles. Like I thought Elder Scrolls Oblivion was a 360 exclusive for a long time. Maybe it was just maybe you just got the PlayStation 3 really late. It was because there was no <laughs> PS5. There was no PS3. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yep, there was a version of uh, a, a modernized sort of version of Lemmings that I still have in my PS3 library somewhere. Some Sudoku and puzzle fun as well. Uh, and uh, Grip Shift, which is actually quite a cute, fun XBLA game, uh, came to PSN. Tekken Dark Resurrection, as we said, is a, a digital download version of Tekken 5, which was already out on PS2, but this was effectively yeah, an HD online version. Uh, and again, sticks uh, sticks in my library. The best-selling games on PS3. Here's the top 10. Obviously, many of these are multi-format. Not all of them, though. Grand Theft Auto 5 unsurprisingly, is the best-selling PS3 game, as well as quite possibly the best-selling PS4 game. I don't know. I think the best... Yeah, is it the best-selling, like, boxed game of all time? Oh, I'm yeah. yeah. Fairly uh, sure, uh, yeah. And it just uh, keeps uh, going. And... Yeah, and there's a new <laughs> version coming out in the not-too-distant future. Anyway, and nearly that, 30 million... Yeah, and that landed like an absolute bombshell. That day, that mm. launch day, was just the most enormous event, wasn't it? I got that one on PS3. Uh, as opposed to 360, I think partly because the storage meant it was only on one disc, right? Whereas the 360 version yes. was on two. Um, so it was just slightly less kerfuffle. And uh, Digital Foundry did a comparison and, and I think they were ever so slightly. Very slightly. It was like three version. density yeah. of foliage type of stuff. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Gran Turismo 5, which was a long time in coming, as I recall. They're always uh, a long time in coming, aren't they? Apart from the ones mm, that sneak out. So, so prologues and that. I, I heard some fans saying that it was a bit of a mess, misstep for the series. And I must say, I did have it and bounced off it. But people were saying that Gran Turismo 6 was like 60 frames a second, 1080p, mm. and, and fixed a lot of the problems. It was a lot more fun. But because it came out right at the death, yeah, uh, perhaps, you know, still 5 million copies, but relative for the Gran Turismo series, mm. that's, that's sort of, you know, shy. Carl, you're a Gran Turismo guy, aren't you? I know Forza's obviously... Yeah, just a bit. Yeah, I know Forza's sort of divided things up in, in recent times, but those are the two serious car head collecty tune your vehicle yeah. games so uh, gran turismo 5 second with 12 million copies gran turismo 6 10th with 5 million copies what what, what are your memories of those two installments i remember waiting um for gt5 as you say they're, ne- they're never something that comes early on and being very excited i made sure i had absolutely no plans that day <laughs> I walked into town i picked up a copy um from my local game store walked home um, and played it and, you know, put a lot of hours into it, but fell away from it very hard. Um, I can't remember why. Probably another game, other things, other events, playing stuff online, I'm not entirely sure. And then for some reason, I put it back in my console many years later um, and started watching some TV shows next to it, as I, as I sometimes do with racing games. I'll just kind of relax. I'll have TV on in the background, that kind of thing. And absolutely hammered Gran Turismo 5 mm. to to the degree of, you know, well over 100, maybe 200 hours in it. I uh, put a lot of time into it, very much enjoyed it, far more than I did the, the, the first time I played it. Um, I seem to remember it having a rather obnoxious jazzy number um, in the <laughs> intro to start it that, that sounded, to my um, ineducated, ignorant uh, ears to jazz, like a lot of noise but beautiful imagery yeah what's interesting about the top sellers list is that naughty dog has three entries uncharted 2 3 and last of us in mm-hmm. the high you know the top six yeah above you know a batman game which yeah. which sort of speaks to how naughty dog i mean i know they're exclusive to the console but it mm. kind of speaks to but batman's a huge brand yeah it speaks to naughty dog's emergence as this kind of superstar you know blockbuster developer and and how they built from uncharted one to uncharted two yeah um i remember that you know was on the front of edge magazine uncharted two and just the jump up was was staggering it's such a, a a fantastic game and and showcase as well we should remember they had already had quite a lot of success with the original crash bandicoot bandicoot trilogy in terms of in terms of numbers but yes uh and jack and daxter and yeah um but yes this was uh, probably next level stuff in that regard. Metal Gear Solid 4, the exclusive, comes in sixth with six million copies. Then it's Batman Arkham City, five and a half million, which would have sold even more on Xbox 360. Uh, Gran Turismo 5 Prologue sold 5.3 million copies, <laughs> more than Gran Turismo 6. Uh, because That's a crime. Of an end of gen release and God of War 3. Uh, which was one of two God of War games, but the only mainline one, I guess, on PS3, five copies. So what was the deal with Gran Turismo 6 then, Carl? Did you play that for 200 hours? Because it sounds like maybe it was 
the superior game, but maybe it came too late. I'm not. So I got this as a Christmas gift. Um, I didn't even get it at launch. I was busy playing other things, and I was immediately very, very impressed by a lot of what it did. Mm. There was a lot of subtlety to the tweaks around the, you know, the navigation, the the central game structure, the passion around the cars, that kind of thing. But it felt a lot like, well, I've done all of this before. Um, and it was very close because, as I said, with Gran Turismo 5, I went back to it. And I think that, that I probably just left it a little too close. And as a result, Gran Turismo 6 didn't get the playtime that it probably deserved because it was actually very, very good. And countless times over the many years since that's released, I keep thinking maybe that's the game I'll play. I mean, as you well know, I, these are the kind of games I absolutely adore. So going back to them isn't such a problem. Um, in that there'll still be great games, but now with Gran Turismo Seven coming at some point, mm, I, I don't know yeah. whether to go back to Gran Turismo Did Six, it... and I, I just feel like it was a victim of its own timing for, yeah. for me and looking at the sales, probably for a lot of others. Did it also get eclipsed by was it was it Evolution Studios one on the PS4? Was it Project Cars? Is that the one I'm thinking of? What's Green Drive the... Club. No. Drive Club. Sorry, that's the one I meant. Yes, thank you. I get them confused. It... Drive, yeah, I think maybe Drive Club had already been showcased, hadn't it, for the PS4 coming forwards, and um, I think Forza Horizon had probably released on the Xbox 360 at this point, yeah, um, which might have taken a bit of the shine away mm. as well as obviously the consistent improvements that that mm. Forza had actually had as a, as a series. Highest rated games, well, again, lots of these are multi-format, but they existed on PS3, so they count. The highest rated game is actually Grand Theft Auto 4. Hmm. Love it or hate it. These are just Metacritic scores, by the way. So, I mean, you know, they are what they are. They are something close to uh, a mean average of review scores. Grand Theft Auto 5 just comes in slightly below with 97. Uncharted 2 is the highest rated PS3 exclusive with 96. Then it's Batman Arkham City, also with 96. Then Little Big Planet. Another exclusive, 95. Red Dead Redemption, also 95. Along with The Last of Us, another exclusive, of course. Then Portal 2. And then a bunch of games on 94, which are all multi-format bar Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of the Patriots. But you've got Bioshock Infinite, again, one that received a backlash. Listen to our podcast on that. COD Modern Warfare 2, COD 4, Bioshock, Mass Effect 2, and Street Fighter 4. Truck Kurt from the forum says, the PS3 is my favourite console. I think it was the first console with which I got majorly into gaming. I'm not sure why I decided to go for PS3 over 360. Other than that, the previous console I owned was the PS2. So I just thought the transition would be easier with the controller and Halo and Gears weren't really games which appealed to me at the time. The only PS exclusive I remember loving on PS2 was Gran Turismo. And so I knew the PS3 would be the only place to play the next GT, even if I did have to wait a while. I saved up some money from my first Saturday job and was delighted to be able to buy my own console for the first time in my life rather than get them as Christmas presents. I got the 60 gigabyte model, but remember being initially disappointed with the games available at launch. It wasn't until Christmas, a few months after purchasing the console, that my love for the PS3 started with the orange box. It was supposed to be a horrible port, but mine seemed to run okay, and Half-Life 2 and Portal became my top two games of all time and still are after playing them at Christmas. That Christmas. 
So yeah, some other noteworthy exclusives. Chime in if you have something to say. Most of these games, uh, as I say, they're ones we haven't covered on the podcast. They are almost all certainly on the big list of games that we'd like to cover someday. But in the meantime, you'll have to you have to make do with a few words. So 3D.GameHeroes has already had a mention. Africa with a K. Uh, I remember this being this having some buzz. Now, I think it was a disc release in some regions and a digital release in others, but I'm not sure it ever came out in the in Europe. This was a really impressive tech demo when they showed it off at E3. But again, like I don't remember the actual release taking place, but I remember it being like kind of a, a kind of a graphical centerpiece um, on their stage yeah. presence. I played this at a gaming LAN, so someone had definitely imported it, and I remember being really excited to play it because it felt like one of those. It wasn't readily accessible, you know what I mean? And it, Sony had been showcasing it, and I thought, this is going to be really good. And I found it incredibly boring, but very visually impressive. So the, the tech there was really it, really incredible, but actually, as a product, I fell off that hard very, very quick. Yeah, I think uh, it was sort of uh, maybe uh, an early example of... It was, it was a photo mode game, effectively, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Like... Yeah. Pokemon Snap, but with realistic safari animals. Anyway, uh, it's uh, I think it's a yeah, it's considered a bit of a cult classic, but it's probably a bit of a Marmite kind of a game. Dragon's Crown, Vanillaware's RPG brawler, uh, which there is also a PS4 version of that often comes up in digital sales and is now quite affordable. But that was one that I imported because it looked like it wasn't going to come out in Europe, and I think I ordered a Canadian copy from one of the importers. Um, It's the one with the offensively large breasts. I was going to say, I remember more conversation about the artwork than I do the game. (laughs) Yeah. I've heard plenty of people defend, defend the. Well, I, I I would be, I would go to bat for it because I, I, I firmly believe that the entire art style of dragon's crown is a satire on fantasy art. Mm -hmm. I'd rather somebody come in with a, style in their mind rather than just throwing a whole lot of nothing at the board so you know whether or not it kind of yeah. fits with my sensibilities like i still think it's interesting to look at yeah, yeah. i think it's uh, uh i mean i think their artists are extraordinary uh and i understand why some would find the the uh the, the depictions of the females in particular problematic but i my my opinion is that if you look across the entire gamut of characters in the game is that everyone is a sort of grotesquely exaggerated caricature uh, of fantasy art. And therefore, the women have enormous pendulous breasts that barely stay in their costumes. Puppeteer. I've still got this uh, installed. It, it was a PS Plus game eventually. Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun and interesting, again, with a, a platformer with a, with a style to it. Yeah, I mean, they were doing the media molecule thing with as much flair uh, is such a beautiful game and makes such a, an incredible first impression. I can't say that I played it to completion or I can't vouch for the quality of its platforming. Um, and, and, you know, side by side, if you, if you squinted, you might not be able to tell much difference between that and little big planet if you weren't paying too much attention, but uh, just such a lot of charm and character that, um, yeah, stuff laid to media molecule like tear away as well mm. that kind of 
yeah, Nintendo picked up on it with Yoshi's Crafted World, that kind of vibe of handmade. Yeah. Something, you know, 3D graphics, but but potentially real world materials being used and handmade objects with some exceptional lighting as well in Puppeteer really mm-hmm. made it stand out. I did finish Puppeteer and I I wanted to like the game more than I ended up liking it. Um, I think it mm. looks really wonderful. And I think there are some really great kind of platforming ideas inside, but I... Uh, the entire experience was rather marred for me because the characters just wouldn't stop talking. There was always somebody, whether it was a narrator or whether it was one of the characters, yeah. like there was always speech throughout the entire game. And it was, uh, it was very, very grating. Um, the script wasn't that great. And um, just mm. the, the constant interjections mm. of characters was uh, extremely annoying. But I will say that this is probably the first game that I remember that had like an actual kind of funny and well-executed musical segment, um, I guess, other than right. like yeah. Final Fantasy VI, Conquers Bad Fur Day, like the kind of classical type of games, but ones mm. that, you know, it felt more like a like an orchestrated uh, musical with different characters jumping in and singing different parts and stuff like that. I remember that section being very impressive. It's an interesting one. It was a, a collaboration between Sony's Japan studio and, but it has a British director and a British composer. Uh, I think he's a British composer, uh, certainly Western composer. So it's an interesting sort of uh, blend. It's a shame there's maybe not a director's cut for PS4 playable on PS5 as well, with but that maybe addressed some of the issues that Ryan mentions, but also just uh, you know adds adds a few uh, few pixels here and there as well to make it. Yeah, because if you play it now, it still looks really nice, but it's uh, it's got the uh, got the 720p fuzz about it as well. Siren Blood Curse was ostensibly a remake of Siren or Forbidden Siren survival horror game. Uh, it was released episodically and digitally on certainly in Europe, uh, but they it was also released in a in a box on a disc later on and also given away with PS Plus. Uh, so it's uh, Keishiro Toyama, uh, another friend of the show who is behind this one. Um, anyone uh, ever... It, it's pretty scary, as I recall. Anyone scream their way through Siren? I, I've, There's no game on the PlayStation 3 that I downloaded and deleted more than <laughs> Siren. <laughs> I always wanted to play it. But then I needed the space for an update or something else, so Siren went because that's what the priority was. And it's I, funny enough, I had this conversation two weeks ago with a friend of mine um, about Siren, and it mm. came up, and I said that that is probably my biggest regret on PlayStation Three of a game I didn't play. One day we'll do a podcast, maybe. Yeah, there were five Ratchet and Clank games on PS Three, if you include all the the various bits and bobs. Tools of Destruction, Quest for Booty, Into the Nexus. Oh, six, including Cracking Time, which we've already mentioned. Plus All for One and Full Frontal Assault. I played at least a bit of each of these. I, I was watching during the uh, Games Done Quick stream that's happening kind of right now as of the time of recording. I was watching mm-hmm. some of the Into the Nexus uh, speedrun and... I mean, obviously, they're doing a lot of out-of-bounds stuff that wouldn't reflect my experience, but I'm surprised with 
how little of the game I actually remember. <laughs> I remember enjoying each of the Ratchet and Clank games that I've played, but uh, have a really hard time summoning specific memories about them. Um, I think the the one that stands out from the lot uh, being all for one, a, a very different style of gameplay I really disliked. Um, it was like a very simplified version of the Lego platformer games that Traveler's Tales makes these days. Um, yeah. Essentially, it's, you know, four players get together. Each one of them has different abilities that they can use to move as a group through very, very simple platforming courses. And I just, I, I mean, I was older than this target audience, but I love the Lego games. I've played almost, I, I think I've, I think I might actually be caught up with the Lego games now. I think I have played. Wow. All of That's them, a lot. But I just uh, it's a lot of studs. I found all for one Ratchet and Clank all for one to be very very boring. <laughs> mm. That was a PS Plus game back in the day. I know because it's sitting there on my machine, and I've certainly never paid for it. <laughs> the Resistance trilogy. So yeah, we started with the launch game. There was some controversy around it because one of the scenes involves uh, was it a shootout in a church in Manchester, something like that. Uh, yeah it ran on into a, a trilogy obviously the developer is uh is doing kind of impressive and well-known things today mm. i've never played beyond a demo of the first one this series has been nearly nominated for the podcast a number of times but now it hmm. feels quite old i know tony was desperate to, to to cover it at some point but yeah i'm not sure how much fun they would be to go back to i think this the, the series ends strongly or was yes. it peak? Yeah, yeah. You, I, I have, yeah, it I, does end strongly. People, yeah, rave about that third one, and mm. I was always on my like, I should get to that, but I'm never quite going to get to that. It's very brown. It always felt a little devoid of personality. I think you're right. I think the, that's. I mean, I had the first one. It was one of the launch games I played. It felt really, and this might be quite shallow of me, but it, it felt quite bland in. The controller had no vibration. The, there seemed to be no feedback from fighting the enemies. The, there was no waiting. It, it just felt quite sloppy. Comparing that to Gears of War as well, which was its contemporary um, and the most obvious comparison, really not a favorable one. Exactly. I mean, yeah. And it, even at launch, you will. I, I don't know. I think I expected it to look better, but I appreciate the fact that it was set in the UK. But uh, the resistance games um do actually well in my opinion get better so i do i do still own them all um I, you know if we do ever cover them it's certainly something that i'd jump on um but yeah it, it's it always felt strange that resistance uh 3 was so fondly thought of and also seemingly the end of the franchise um having not had one on the yeah. ps4 maybe they just had nothing more they could do with it maybe it will come back someday on ps5 but it was insomniac right so yeah exactly yeah they've been they have been quite busy with other things they have been busy but yes a, 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 an absolutely stunning current gen ps5 era resistance game has some appeal to me oh, sci-fi shooter absolutely i mean there aren't that many first person sci-fi shooters around at the moment are there i don't know probably uh probably loads i'm forgetting anyway uh motorstorm ended up being a trilogy with again i would say uh well i say again uh in my mind it was the middle installment that was perhaps the strongest pacific rift um i did buy that one apocalypse was the brown one <laughs> okay yeah that was a ps plus <laughs> yeah. game at some I thought point apocalypse was the one that people look back on really fondly now of course this is just 
personal recollections and readings of uh, community yeah, sentiment, could which be, gets could dangerous. Be. But Pacific Rift is the pretty one. It's like okay, the, the one right. with color, and Apocalypse is the brown one. So I, I think more. Wasn't there? Oh, the 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 snowy one was on PSP or Vita, was it as well? Uh, and there was Motorstorm RC, which was a cute downloadable game, which is Motorstorm but in a sort of super sprint or Ivan Iron Man Stewart super off road style. And that's my actual favourite game in that genre since that title. Like that was a really strong title. Um, I really enjoyed the RC games, and of course. You know, it was the same game on PS3 and on Vita, so you could play it handheld if you really wanted to. Mm. Um, I, I I liked Motorstorm one more than Pacific Rift. I've I've had lots of errors of falling through the map on Pacific Rift that seemed to just be me. But Apocalypse, when they just decided to bring buildings and stuff into it for the sake of well, because we can, it seemed to lose the the wide open track and the and the variety of of navigating these things. I mean. It, it feels like a conversation that was had around uh, Sega Rally on a very recent recording that we'll have made close to this podcast that um, maybe that series also took that I appreciated the the sort of the wide turns and, and craft of Mudstorm 1 and I felt that that got lost in the series. It almost went in the opposite direction of how I felt the Resistance series went. One of the Namco Bandai RPGs, the Tales games, of which there are a number going back a long, long way. There was one that was PS3 only, Tales of Zillia. I'm not sure it is still PS3 only anymore. I have a feeling maybe it's had a a remaster. But uh, but anyway, I think you're it right. was there. I remember getting sent a review copy of that. Uh, Ryan already mentioned this, but uh, yes, it's uh, one that stays in my collection on a disc. Possibly still. I know we've had the remasters recently or remaster of the original Katamari, but Katamari Forever remains stuck on ps3 and uh and i think is a really good way to introduce yourself to the the katamari damacy series absolutely this was my jam uh, i really really love this entry in the series uh it was the first one that i ever owned not the first that i played but the first that i owned and it it does that kind of thing that a lot of last entries in series do where it's kind of a greatest hits um as well yeah. which is kind of a clever way of reusing some old assets and ideas yeah. and sprucing them up a little bit and then it included a lot more kind of like visual filters and stuff like that you that you can unlock along the way to make it look kind of you know spiffy and new and and a little bit mm. of spit shine on the uh on the still pretty you know simple but appealing graphical style and i think that this one with its visual filters and with its kind of greatest hits mm. mentality, I think would clean up really, really nicely for a modern day uh, remaster. Yeah, do it again. Do it again. Definitely. Uh, it also contains quite a lot of the legendary music from the series, doesn't it? Yeah, it's one of the better soundtracks. Uh, a lot of it, again, is remixes of songs from earlier in the series, but they tend to be very, very good remixes. So I'm okay with that. There was the other God of War game, Ascension. I've never heard anyone say anything nice about this I like game. this one. <laughs> this is Oh, hey. This is probably my favorite God of War game, but I don't have like a huge amount of of uh affection for the series, but I just I feel like this God of War game it got it got passed over by a lot of people at the beginning. God of War 3 was such like a culmination of the Greek storyline. This one being a prequel yep. didn't really feel like something that people were necessarily chomping at the bit for and um the fact that it came out i think even after the launch of the ps4 like it was very 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 late generation 
I think people were kind of yes. on to the next console by then. Was, but yeah. uh, but I, I, I like this one because in my memory, it does more than the other God of War games. Those moments where it zooms the camera way out and you're just a little tiny blip climbing up the side of this mm. giant structure. And I just like, in God of War games, I want to feel like, I, I want to feel small in the presence of the grandeur of these giant beings that i'm slaying or these giant temples that i'm ascending you know i i know that yeah. there's this temptation to make kratos kind of front and center and make him feel like a mountain of a man but i think it's more impressive and more satisfying in a shadow of the colossus kind of way to feel small and to feel like your accomplishments are bigger yeah it was a real technical showcase as mm-hmm. well for the ps3 like it was really a frame rate wise not so much though <laughs> okay no Another remaster then. They did God of War 3. Uh, again, if we ever do a full God of War series on the on the other podcast, on the main podcast, uh, Ascension would undoubtedly form part of that. I say I played it for the first time ever earlier. PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. Again, I never would have bought it, but it was, uh, it was a PS Plus game, so it sits in my library. This was, of course, Sony Does Smash Brothers. Ryan, I think you're relatively warm on this one. I Yeah, um... I, I have very mixed feelings about it, which I think, uh, based on my reading of the community, tends to be on the warmer side. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I yeah, I really like some of the ideas in here. I the thing that people talk about the most is like the character roster, kind of feeling like a B tier of Sony characters. Um, they do have a few really? kind of okay. A listers like Nathan Drake, um, Heihachi from Tekken, mm. Parappa the Rapper, which I was very very happy about. Although he looks weird in yes. this one. He doesn't look quite right. But anyways, no. I'm glad to see Parappa in anything that he can sneak his way into these days. But, um, it, you know, there was kind of like, I, I think a lot of the complaints around the character list came down to like, you got the wrong Dante. Why do we have uh, Raiden <laughs> and not Solid Snake? Uh, you know, it's just a few kind of like, why is Fat Princess in here and not, you know, Crash Bandicoot? You know, a few of those kind of weird character choices that were probably driven by necessity and by ending up at weird points in the marketing cycles of various upcoming games rather than rather than being probably the choice of the creators but uh i i think for what it is it's it has some cool ideas um i really like the the concept of stages where each stage represents like two franchises instead of just one and always kind of unfolds like one franchise is invading the other one so the um Mm. it would start off in a pretty kind of standard you know like the parappa the rapper stage would start off in the fruits dojo which is chop shop master onions dojo where he teaches you karate and uh how to rap and um and then the the wall gets crashed down and there's a big um i think it's resistance fall of man war happening outside or one of the big kind of mech games uh war taking place around the parappa town there's these big mechs that stomp into town and start shooting everything up and so you know kind of like that there's um each of the stages are kind of like fun interplays between various ips which makes everything feel um very kind of unsegmented very uh like everything's a big family um in a way so you know that's exciting hmm. but i think the part that i part that i didn't care for the most was the scoring mechanics the only way to uh. ko an opponent was to use one of your three special moves 
which you charge by uh-huh, by yeah. collecting orbs which mm. other players drop when they're hit and so it it requires you to stay within like very close range of other players so you're there to collect the orbs so that means that like ranged play isn't really an option and it means that the characters with the best um you know screen clearing special moves are just kind of inherently better every match ends in the same way essentially by you know people doing these big screen clearing special moves um instead of smash bros where everybody is just kind of becoming easier and easier to hit farther and farther across the stage. It's very easy to tell, you know, visually, physically who's winning and losing just because they're, they're flying from Mm -hmm. one side of the stage to the other. There's those kind of clutch saves where uh, you just don't really get that same level of, of nuance in the gameplay. So I'd I'd like to see a second attempt at this because I think there is something Mm -hmm. there. And Sony is certainly kind of even in the time since then has, uh, increased their um their roster quite considerably they can make for a a great first party um lineup of games now but uh this one just wasn't quite abby versus (laughs) yeah mod nation races and little big planet karting uh exist in a similar space in my head for some reason um both obviously mario kart-esque wannabes but both with elements of games that had uh, a creative factor to them i kind of liked mod nation racers i i got a bit bored of little big planets karting but i thought i think that's they were pretty much built on the same engine and controlled pretty much the same yeah. but i think it was just by that point in the generation i'd maybe grown a little bit uh tired of that kind of thing or maybe i just didn't need that type of game anymore but mod nation i had a fair amount of fun with it was uh one of those games where it encouraged you to make your own character and to paint up your own car and everything to um encouraging a lot of creativity and expression and so you could you could very easily design your own cartoony you know captain falcon or phoenix wright or whatever and race them around which always that's it makes those types of games a lot more fun It, it it's cartoony enough to where if you make a captain falcon that looks um you're not going to be able to make him look realistic. So he's always going to look stylized. And so the range of what looks right is uh, a lot more generous than something in like Forza Horizon, where if you're recreating Scooby-Doo's mystery machine, it has to be like spot on. Otherwise it's going to look like a cheap knockoff, you know? There was a twisted metal installment. Now these games are never really a big deal in Europe. They come out, uh, but I understand they're bigger in America, but is is that something any of us played? I owned it, never played it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a PS Plus game as well at some point. I seem to have it. There was a, a game called Warhawk very early on uh, and a, a spiritual successor yeah. called Starhawk. And I think Warhawk was a relative of an old PS1 game called Warhawk or at least inspired by, but I never played either of these. So I really liked Warhawk. I think it was yeah. a, a launch title for the PS1. Quite. Um, and yeah. It was always a franchise I wanted to come back, and when they brought it back, it was sort of a, a large-scale multiplayer game, um, which, you know, it was taking on Battlefield, uh, which kind of has that formula down, and it felt like a cheaper version of it. You know, I think... Um, and it's another game that's that's probably not on this list. It, it is Massive Action Game, or MAG, tried that later on as well um and, mm. and again it, it just didn't feel quite as 
robust as uh, as Battlefield does in that regards. But yeah, it, do you know it, it was fun, but it it never felt like a real polished quality title. A load of Yakuza games, which are now available on other formats, started life on the PS3, 3, 4, and 5, and 0, amazingly. Uh, there are also the Japan-only spin-offs, which aren't available elsewhere. So again, you'll need a PS3 if you want to play, I think it's Kenzan and Gotoku Ishin, and you'll need Japanese as well, probably. Uh, Dust514 was an ambitious fps the idea being that it was the ground troops interacting with eve online that's right isn't it yes yeah uh, i remember jay being incredibly excited for this conceptually but i'm not sure that the game quite ever lived up to the the promise massive action game you just mentioned i'd forgotten about i remember there being a few real exponents of this or proponents of this one uh, but did anyone partake well, Ryan certainly wouldn't have yeah. done. Yeah, nah. <laughs> from from memory, you chose one of three factions, and you were locked locked into one of those factions. If I'm remembering correctly, um, I definitely played it. Uh, it, and the, I think the selling point was large scale battles. Was it 128 players or 256? 256 sounds crazy, but it, I mean, maybe that was what it was going for. I seem to remember figures. it was a, remember a, a, certainly a large. Yeah, yeah, it was a, la- a large player base, but. This came out at a time when the PlayStation Network for online gaming wasn't wasn't so strong. Um, the infrastructure wasn't quite in place, and it just felt like everything was ropey and it could fall apart at any time. And it was such a shame because the intention I really liked. I liked the fact that you kind of locked into one of these factions and you battled for that faction, and you know you, you were going to take part in anything that was going to take on you know the battle the battlefield series because that's like a a one game juggernaut that that needs to be challenged um for other games and uh, mag at least had a, a a direction of change that was going to make it stand out mm. and i think the problem was that it needed a large player count mm. and it wasn't Battlefield. Mm. So it was kind of the victim of its own ambition in that regard. And, you know, I, I don't think the servers were active that long. I think it, it definitely didn't make it out of the PS3 um, life cycle. Uh, a couple of AR-type games using the PS... Was it called the PlayStation Eye at this point? Or was it just the PS3 camera? I think the Eye was the PlayStation 2. I think it was just the PlayStation camera at this point. Yeah. Uh, Eye of Judgment, I remember being quite a novelty. And there was another thing called Wonderbook Book of Spells, which I I have an image of Ryan playing this, but I could be completely wrong. No, unfortunately not. Um, I I, I bought a PlayStation camera really, really late, like even post PlayStation 3 era. So I might own it but i uh, i don't think i've ever it makes for a good e3 showcase but uh i don't think i heard anyone talking about it during its time i made a few stickers for little yeah. big planet with my camera and some gurning faces on burnout paradise i think that's <laughs> about it <laughs> i only ever remember wonderbook because sony gave it quite a lot of screen time at mm. an e3 conference and then it just kind of released and and that was it yeah, I mean, there's a PS5 camera, so that kind of thing still exists. But are people using it for anything other than showing their faces while they're streaming? I don't know. 
<laughs> uh, PlayStation Move Heroes. I don't even remember what this was, but obviously it was designed to promote the uh, the famous wands. Time Crisis Four and Raising Storm. We mentioned the G-Con earlier, uh, so that happened. There was an, there were another couple of uh, sort of legacy uh, first, um, you know, light gun game shooters that came to the console. They also we also got a version of the Dead Space Extraction, which was a co-op light gun game that was on the Wii. Uh, and House of the Dead 4 as well for the digital services. Over to the digital uh, side of things, PSN games. Uh, now, one of the reasons that I keep my PS3 near to hand is the Pixel Junk series. Um, some of these came over to PS4. There's a There's a compilation of the shooter games, but I have fond memories of Pixel Junk uh, Eden in particular. I was playing it again earlier today, a really weird trancey physics based platformer uh, up to four players in co-op, as I recall. And they did a pixel junk side scroller. And there were a couple of other oddities as well, which I didn't play. But I don't know if these are available elsewhere. Did they come to Steam eventually, perhaps? There are a lot of them on Steam now. I don't yeah. know about all of them, okay. though. Sure. I also have some fond memories of Fat Princess which again Sony gave quite a bit of hype to and they yeah they put Fat Princess in the in the All-Stars game. I had a few fun evenings of this. Uh it didn't last as long as perhaps Sony were hoping, but it was fun. Tokyo Jungle is a cult classic. Uh I think this yeah, it's the good stuff. It also came out in a box I think certainly in some regions but uh, but i bought this digitally yeah tell us more about tokyo jungle why it's a cult class yeah what a weird game it's it's yeah. a I, I believe it's procedural kind of a roguelike type of game where you play yes. as a as an animal that is living in a post-apocalyptic like post-humans nature has reclaimed the city version of tokyo correct and basically you uh wander around and just try to kind of survive stay alive i'm not really a fan of survival games in general but this one really kind of caught my imagination and i think it's just because the central concept of it is so strong um, that you you start off as really small weak animals and you try to reach kind of certain certain thresholds certain bars um before you're able to unlock um progressively larger and larger animals but you are Mm -hmm. For the majority of the game, you're kind of within these, within the ranges of animals that are very, very far down on the food chain. So, you know, the, there's a yeah. corgi on the box art. You know, that's something that you might have to parade around the city, which is um, actually kind of a uh, lower on the food chain, but not the very, very bottom. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, trying to hunt down chickens and trying to stay away from bears and alligators and there was just so many different types of animals as well it was really impressive like the number of well animated animals that you could um that you could play as each one of them played a little bit differently and it just felt like um it felt exciting getting a new animal and tr just trying to figure out like how does it move how does it attack you know, what does it need to eat? Uh, there are some herbivores in there that play entirely differently. Um, I, I, I remember the, it took a little bit too long to actually unlock everything. And so I think it probably, mm. its path for, uh, of progression towards the most interesting animals and items 
probably lasted longer than most people wanted to spend with the game, uh, which is a yeah. bit of a shame because some of the later stuff uh, looked really, really interesting. But, uh, you know, by that time, you really feel like you've earned your way to the top of the food chain when you're a, a bear and you're just able to kind of like take down anything in your path. Hmm. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. A great sort of archetypal example of one of those curious games that you can only still play on on the ps3 and uh and is is worth tracking down similarly uh rain or lost in the rain was given away latterly on ps plus as a sort of uh yeah it's a kind of action stealth puzzle game involving water it's neat all the characters are invisible but they're still affected by like you could see the the outline of them in the rain. So it's kind of like one of those Invisible Man movies yeah. where, you know, you kind mm. of look at the um, at the space around them and the physical, you know, things that they're interacting with, walking through smoke or watching rain kind of bounce off their body or something like that. So a cool idea. Um, I played a little bit of it, but not enough to really have a, a solid opinion, but really striking visually and a, a great concept. I'd love to see revisited. Mm, yeah. Tom, you mentioned Echo Chrome earlier. So this was also a PSP game by uh, Sony, Game Yorosa and Japan Studio. Isha-inspired puzzling. So at quite a sedate pace, but with some really neat uh, brain-bending ideas. I can't say much about it qualitatively because I only tickled it at it and only in PlayStation Home. Okay. Um, so it's, it had much more impact me on me aesthetically in that Made I remembered impression. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I don't remember okay. loving well, it, was, it or sticking at it. It was well-reviewed uh, at the time. And uh, again, I, I'm not sure there may be other ways to play it, but certainly, yeah, I think PSP and PS3 is probably it. Uh, Pain. A late edition, good, good call. This was this actually was it free to play or it was or it had it had microtransactions as I recall, didn't it? This is a game. I think they gave it away. That, for maybe it, they gave it point. away. I think it was a PS Plus. Yeah, game. you um, fire your little dude into the scenery. That's <laughs> that's basically yeah. at the peak of of ragdolling everything. They released a game about ragdolling someone into everything. Yeah. Um, and trying to score points. And it, it seemed to have this surge of real popularity really quickly mm. and, and then just faded away into nothing. Um, and I, I, I watched a competitive playthrough of it last oh, year right. for, you know, <laughs> why wouldn't you? You know, what else am I going to do on a night? And do you know what? It was It was actually quite funny. I appreciated it a lot more for the the, the uh, sort of the skill ceiling that's in that game. But it was, it was I mean... That was a real game of the moment, wasn't it? As, um, as those physics had just got to that next kind of stage mm. of evolution, there was a a game all about really just showcasing them in the most ridiculous. Manner. I still think it's a good concept. Um, it, yeah. it just got kind of boring. You feel like you've seen everything pretty quickly in that game. Yeah, that's fair. Another really curious game that came out relatively early in the days of PSN and was, I think one of the last ever game PS3 games they gave away on PS Plus is The Last Guy. This is a game where the graphics are kind of built out of satellite type photographs of terrain and you play a tiny little guy and you have to herd people away from zombie monsters uh, 
it's a bit like the old Sega arcade game Flicky, where you where you touch people to get them to follow you, and then you try to deliver them to safety. Uh, again, like there's nothing quite like it anywhere else, and as far as I know, the only place you can play it is PS3. I seem to remember it having quite spooky sound, or yeah, being quite disturbing yeah. in a way. Like that and Echo Chrome, I remember my sort of very very initial. Uh, sort of PS3 downloadable game impressions were this stuff is weird mm-hmm. and yeah. quirky and odd and huh yeah that's definitely the vibe I got from a lot of the PS3 downloadable exclusives there was obviously you can't you know the, you can't really make a sweeping generalization but if there was a if there was a sense to them I, w- I would think like of XBLA at the time was your arcadey your actual arcade games and things like that and there there were some on uh there were some on PSN as well we got uh, Gauntlet 2 and Mortal Kombat 2 arrived very early but yes there was this also this sort of sense that this was a home to even more esoteric and slightly off-kilter games than XBLA was was hosting at the time another one of those would indeed be Trash Panic aka Gomibako uh which is a really weird and incredibly difficult game uh where you have to incinerate garbage in a bin it's very good though um i really like it yeah it once you get the mechanics it's quite compelling uh ryan yeah well you uh, i thought nobody else would have played this except me so i'm glad you have. yeah this is one that i reference on playwright uh quite frequently actually because it's such like a singular thing that no one else has really done before to my memory but it's a uh, little infernos it's got a maybe well, a tangential link to it little inferno is it it doesn't have like a sense of challenge to it it's more of like the puzzles themselves mm. like this is a um trash panic is a tetris type of game where you're basically trying to fit a certain quantity of of uh of trash into uh, a bin of different sizes but the way that it's done is that not only are you trying to kind of tetris the um, differently and weirdly shaped objects together, but you also have to account for like the materials that they're made out of, the weight of the materials. So that's something it. that's squishy is going to um, it's going to be really easy to kind of like slot in somewhere. But everything that goes on top of it is going to be kind of lopsided, and things aren't going to be able to balance on top of that. Um, you're not going to yeah. be able to crush something squishy. Whereas if you have something like a glass that you're um, that is kind of brittle, um, then you're able to either like drop that like you would in Tetris, uh, or drop something heavy on top of it and it would shatter and essentially just be you know non-existent any longer. And so you would get little bonuses along the way, like bombs and stuff like that, to clear up some more space. Um, but really, really, just a clever way of um, of doing something that is so kind of intuitive in your mind, you know, squishing things down and dropping heavier things to weigh down lighter objects. Um, and then each level would kind of become larger and larger in scale as well. So for the opening level, yeah. you're in like a, you're in like an office and you're putting like paper airplanes and staplers and stuff like that into the bin. But then as you get larger and larger, then all of a sudden you're putting, telephone booths into a bin you're putting uh, uh oil derricks and stuff into larger yeah. and larger bins and so katamari style yeah, exactly in that, in that respect 
Yeah. And there's a whole ego versus eco thing going on. So you can dispose of garbage yeah. in in a in a more ethical way or a more fun way of burning <laughs> things. Uh, you have to watch your oxygen levels and all this stuff. Yeah, it's a, it, genuinely it's it's a little bit unlike anything else I've ever played, certainly. And uh, and yeah, it is PS3 only as it has been for the last 12 years. I guess you can still buy it. I don't know. But uh, somehow seek it out. Uh, there was also a game which I think is, is certainly available on PC, but uh, Riff Everyday Shooter is one that I associate with early PSN, and that is one that I don't think ever got trophy support. Uh, it's a little twin stick, slightly uh, abstract twin stick shooter. Good soundtrack as well. With guitars, of course. There's just going to be chance for us to uh, to add a few more personal shouts in there before we close but we always like to look back at a system's notorious turkeys now turkeys is an in inverted commas because firstly it's subjective and secondly there are lots of different ways of sort of defining what is a disaster the first two that came up are sort of more to do with how high profile they were ps3 exclusive haze from free radical people were hoping for and expecting maybe uh, a really exciting top tier follow-up to the time splitters games with some really cool ideas about combat drugs and players agency and what they were seeing compared to reality and the result was a game that um i don't know became a bit of a laughing stock really was that fair though is it really a turkey or was it just a, a big letdown it felt like it had no soul in the yeah it was just so bland like conceptually it should have been great but the execution just wasn't there yeah, it was one of those where they showed off a really interesting concept at E3, and then when they finally wheeled out the finished game years later, they had kind of stripped away the personality that um, that had been seen in that original trailer. I think it was a product of chasing trends, I, I think mm -hmm. kind of imposed upon the artist rather than something that they really wanted to do themselves. And it just came away very, uh, very middle of the road, very unremarkable. Um, in a way that uh, they probably would be, you know, still remembered and talked about today if they had gone with the original concept that they had been pitching around. But it's one of those where, you know, enough cooks in the kitchen, eventually all the kind of edges will be sanded off uh, for a very safe product that ended up appealing to no one. Uh, and another relatively high profile one was from Factor 5, who people uh, had a lot of respect for going all the way back to the 16-bit days with things like Turrican. And then throughout uh, the N64 and GameCube era with the uh, with the Rogue Leader, Rogue Squadron games, they were doing one that used the six axis to control a dragon and you would fly about and set people on fire and everything. And then it came out and the reviews were pretty bad. Did anyone actually uh, stump up for it, though? It was on my list uh, of something to pick up around launch. Um, was it around launch? I think mm -hmm. it was. Yeah. Um, and didn't it get forced into basically being a six-axis showcase? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and I, just the more I looked at it, I thought it, it, it was almost like they were trying to do everything they possibly could to make a game that was a turn-off for me. Uh, <laughs> there was In the end, there was just nothing that appealed, and I just left it well enough alone, and then the reviews came out, and it, you know, the, the, the smug voice in the back of your head goes, eh, knew it. 
And the remaining games on this list are really ones that I've kind of sort of uh, dredged up from the internet, finding you know bad games on the PS3 kind of lists. Uh, so, but I have played one of them. Uh, please chime up if you've ever had the misfortune or good fortune, and you're a contrarian about it, to play any of these. We had Rambo, the video game, which I think was very late in the PS3's life. We had a game called The Fight Lights Out. We had a game called Body Count, which I do remember the title of. Po possibly yeah. multi-format, but the next one, Carl, I know you're a big fan of the movie Top Gun. No, I didn't play it. The, like, to be fair, the last Top Gun game I played was the, at least what I remember being decent, PlayStation 1 title. Mm. Um, I know that there's been countless ones since, but uh, no. I did not play this one on the PS3. Another relatively high profile, or at least they gave it some promotion, was a game called Amy, which uh, which I think has somehow been ported to more recent systems as well. But I remember the reviews for that being particularly bad. There's a, a dubious sounding game called Girl Fight. Anyone going to admit to owning that? No. Is that based on the movie? Is there a movie called that? I don't. I wouldn't know. Yeah, Carl. Michelle Rodriguez oh, okay. movie that's actually quite good. Uh, oh, okay. Um, uh, sounds like it might well be. Uh, speaking of movie times, then the Expendables two video game. Mm, no takers. The one I have played from this list is The Walking Dead: Survival Instinct. So this is the non-Telltale game that was a tie-in with the TV series, when the TV series was still pretty new, uh, based on the uh, the Dixon brothers. Uh, yeah, I completed it, and I reviewed it. Um, I don't know if Turkey is too strong a term, but um, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. Let's put it that way. Kick-Ass the Game, another movie tie-in. I like the movie. Don't remember the game even existing, but there it was. A game called Magus appears on worst PS3 games lists, as does one called Smash and Survive. And another film tie-in, DreamWorks Kung Fu Panda 2. A disappointing follow-up to the apparently okay Kung Fu Panda game. And finally, we have a game called Dream Chronicles, which I know nothing about. Sadly, we don't have a lot of experience of those between us. By the sounds of it. Looks like we avoided some absolute duds. Yeah. Oh, it's always the way, isn't it? So, yeah, just uh, to wrap up, any other games that uh, we particularly strongly associate with the PS3 that we haven't been able to give a mention to up to this point? Carl, what's this one? Yeah, so um, obviously we had Wipeout Fury, etc. were games that were on the PS3, but then PlayStation uh, iterated those games for 3D TVs. Oh, um, okay. So if you had your three, you had a TV capable of it, and you had your, you know, your actual three D glasses, you could play certain ones. Wipeout was one, Pain was one, and I, I can't remember. I think it was a pack of four, and I can't really remember what the other two are, despite owning them. Um, but I'm a huge fan. I think Super Stardust HD had a three D version. Yes, yes, that was one of them. Mm. Um, and I, I love Wipeout games. The, the, the so my type of game anyway. Uh, but it it felt really really good in 3D, um, and it it felt novel at first, uh, and it, I don't think it's quite what we experience now with VR. For anyone who's played VR, 
But it was quite good that Sony actually went to go and support these TVs that were actually capable of, you know, 3D, um, 3D at home. And and Wipeout was definitely a standout experience mm. um, that, I, that I really enjoyed. And, and probably the only other game that I would strongly associate with a PlayStation uh, would be Unfinished Swan. Mm, um, yeah. Which has obviously since expanded, but was mm. a, was seen as a, a sort of a PS3 big title, and and these were the kind of games that really did pull me across to to the PS3 console, as the you know we call them indies all the time, and I'm not sure how fair that is for all of them, but mm. certainly um, they had an artistic style that that stood out, and and Unfinished Swan was really the one on the PS3. I totally that, forgotten that started um, on the PS3. Left me to be honest. Yeah, that was a. Yeah, it somewhat left me slack-jawed in in terms of the visual approach. It was it was pretty amazing. Yeah, that was a day one. Uh, Unfinished one was a day one purchase for mm. me, just because I I think I'd seen a preview of it or something, and and just been really interested by the very first mechanic in the game, which is throwing the paint at the walls. Mm. But as it turned out, I really fell in love with the storybook aesthetic. And the framing of the story and it's, you know, they sort of quietly gone about their businesses releasing these really wonderful games at the um, uh, What Remains of Edith Finch was the sort of follow up. But Unfinished Swan, I, I think I've gone back and beaten it two, three times. I played it with the kids. It's just there's something about it, the atmosphere of the game and the mechanics that and the music, absolutely wonderful music as well. Yeah, real, real standout for me, too. Hmm. Ryan, you've got a few here that you want to give a shout out to from the PS3. Yeah, on the PlayStation 3, I played a lot of the uh, You Don't Know Jack uh, 2011 version that they put out there, which um, <laughs> was, I guess we kind of learned in let- retrospect, them kind of warming up to um, Jackbox's ultimate ultimate goal of <laughs> producing <four>. yeah, <laughs> yearly Jackbox party packs. Um, the first two of which were available on PlayStation 3. I'm sure they kept releasing them on the old console uh, since then, but uh, it felt like, you know, mm. after the first couple, a lot of people's attention moved to the newer generation of consoles. It was kind of a tail end of the generation type thing. But I remember, you know, Jackbox 1 and 2 being um, real kind of mainstays for PlayStation 3 owners at the time. I think it was before that series even really got all that popular and well-known but uh those who were in the know those who had followed the um, jackbox team from you don't know jack and some of their earlier works uh were Mm. there early and were um vocal proponents and you know say it's been a very successful series ever since it's uh interesting to see where it kind of started from was um was sports friends ps3 as well yes yeah that used the playstation move controllers as well that's right, yeah. EDF uh, as well. Obviously, again, this is a multi-format game. but uh, Yeah, Earth Defense Force has ties back to the Super Nintendo, I think, or Super Famicom, I suppose, with Global Defense Force or something like that. But it really took off mm-hmm. on the PlayStation 2 with some of the EDF games on there and then became probably best known in the West for its kind of crossover Earth Defense Force 2017, which took place yeah. in the year 2017 was not released in 2017 weird to think that that is already yep. a part of our world's history um <laughs> it's ancient yeah. history uh but uh yeah the uh came back to the playstation 3 as an exclusive for a while i believe for earth defense force 2025 mm. 
Well, maybe that one is actually. I'm not sure, but yeah, I think. Yeah, I get confused. Yeah, it's since become a lot more easy to pick up on multiple platforms, including PC. Uh, But I mean, the legacy of that series, it's a ton of fun to play co-op with people. Um, I I love Earth Defense Force. It barely runs on any of the consoles that they release it on, but that's (laughs) part of the fun. (laughs) Um, It's just kind of the audacity of the weapons that they give you, the uh, giant guns that fire you know nine rockets in succession and take down buildings as you're trying to to shoot these giant spiders and ants and stuff it's it's good fun it's it's good stuff real cult classics and yeah just a a a long-running series the fans keep it alive yeah and then one more that i wanted to reference here um it's kind of a perhaps a bit of an obscuro pick but again kind of towards the very tail end of the playstation 3 generation Uh, There was a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure All-Star Battle fighting game, which Mm. I Mm -hmm. have never read JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I've never seen any of the adaptations. Mm. I have really kind of no ties back to the source material, but it's a very, um, very interesting fighting game in that the characters are kind of ambitious and wild like that's what i'm looking for in fighting games like i want everything to i want each character to feel like over the top like they're really some kind of puzzle to get your mind around you know um i want it to feel like there's a lot of spectacle a lot of flair going on and jojo's bizarre adventure has characters that fight on horseback there's like there's some wild stuff in there and it's just a shame that like it is stuck on the PlayStation 3 at pretty, I mean, to my modern sensibilities going back and playing it recently, it feels mm-hmm. like it's pretty far sub 30 FPS. Um, something right. like this on Steam at an uncapped frame rate, I think would do phenomenally well these days, uh, especially mm. since JoJo has remained at least somewhat popular with kind of a niche of uh, audiences. So um, I, it, it, I, wish i knew who to petition to get this game ported to more modern systems cyber connect to <laughs> the people behind well, there we go asura's wrath yeah cool nice picks uh thomas any remaining mentions do these need to be ps3 exclusive or no even... we can you know i mean we, we need to be relatively rapid but you yeah. can well i guess the the standout ones very quickly wipeout hd photo mode Got okay. me was the first console photo mode I remember. Ah. Actually, I remember seeing bits of Uncharted 2 and thinking, wow, that looks amazing. And taking a photo of the TV screen. Right. <laughs> so yeah. a step up from that was mm. uh, was wipeout photo mode, which yes. had some great so, some uh motion blur and stuff that you, d- you still don't get very good in, in games these days, mm. but uh, that was a lot of fun. And then I mean, I was quite a mainstream gamer, I guess on ps3 like standouts that aren't the obvious like assassin's creed or whatever were nino cooney which is actually a ds game to begin with obviously but yeah just, it's a, my it's wife a totally still loves different it. game on on yeah yeah PS3. my wife totally loves that game we played it with my five-year-old still to this day um it's it's just beautiful and and brilliant soundtrack blah 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 sleeping dogs gta clone with its own character and own fighting style that that really solid and um enjoyable back then and uh yeah south park the stick of truth 
<laughs> for just committing <laughs> committing to the bit really uh, some of those later stages take you to some really interesting places <laughs> yeah that game normally comes up on because i've not played it um but it comes up on lists of you know outrageous things that happen in video games and you know, <laughs> darkest jokes and all that kind of thing uh yeah uh nino kuni of course uh has more recently arrived on pc switch and ps4 so you don't need a ps3 for that one necessarily uh sleeping dogs you mentioned i think ryan was was going to mention this as well obviously a multi-format title and has been remastered but why sleeping dogs in the ps3 in particular just because that's where you played it that's just where i played it and as i say you know gta was at that time gta reigned absolutely supreme you know getting a cab in gta 4 and just drive around the city is just this amazing simulation and everyone was waiting for gta 5 and sleeping dogs just sort of seem to come out of nowhere and be really solid surprisingly people I don't love think, it yeah, yeah i don't think it's a game i don't think it's a game i'd want to go back to particularly or even see an updated version i just really enjoyed it the console it came out on at the time it came out um you know i don't know how it's aged or whatever but just it just really hit home and the fantastic soundtrack um for various reasons but mm. uh, yeah absolutely killer soundtrack it has a nice definitive edition you can play on yeah, xbox series and you can regularly get and... it for like two dollars as well like it's it's very very cheap yeah. all of the time but it's it's i think of yeah. any of the games in these kind of like open world crime simulator genre uh sleeping dogs is kind of my personal favorite blend of the mm -hmm. goofiness and the straight face serious mm. world you know and in grand theft auto you can mm. enact chaos but the world still kind of feels like it's winking back at you you know all of its all of its restaurants have dirty names and you know everything it's like it feels like it's very in on the joke and so it doesn't really feel like yes. you're deconstructing that world yes. so much and sleeping dogs does a really good job of like giving you the freedom to enact chaos but it doesn't ever it doesn't ever show its hand as being a comedic game but it also doesn't mm. come across as too self-serious like it rides that line really really tightly and um it's it's a beautiful world to um to mm. be a, a part of a, a presence of you can walk around as a tourist never you know punch or hurt anybody and and get a lot of it that way but if you want to um you know my, my friend and i had a lot of fun times of trying to um steal the double decker buses and drive those up spiral staircases <laughs> or into the bay and and the amount of like stuff that you can do in that game while listening to the kind of traditional like Chinese soap opera type of music that you would hear on the radios, just it makes for a a, a really fantastic experience. As as um, uh, not to mention the lack of guns, I think adds a really nice dynamic where everything oh, yeah. is very hmm. physical. Everything's very immediate. You're not doing uh, anything from range. You know the amount of times you use a gun is very very infrequently in the game, and so everything is very yeah. um, up close and personal, which which feels like a great way to experience the city as well. We did a Sleeping Dogs podcast some time ago, listener. If you want to hear more on that uh, that particular game, just two for me that are absolutely PS3 only well one of them's an arcade conversion the first one i have to mention is uh keita takahashi's nobby nobby boy barely even a game really uh, just a thing that you play with 
a game in which you it's got a really weird control method you play a little thing knobby knobby boy with two ends and a middle you can stretch out the middle you can eat things you can poo them out it's got loads of music it's set in a weird surreal pastel world and at the end of every session you report your length to knobby knobby girl and eventually she travels from the earth to the sun and all the way back to the earth again and she did i loaded up the game today and it seemed that before they uh, before they shut the service down uh she did indeed uh we should know because it's a global aggregate of everyone who played the game yes thank you yes very clear yes it's not just not just not just your own it was indeed all and i read the letter today that was written in 2009 by takahashi sort of saying i wonder how long it will take for people to get this done uh will it take 10 years well it did as it turned out uh the game came out in 2009 and it took yeah around about 10 years for for it to happen just a really weird thing genuinely like nothing else and uh completely pointless but also wonderful and the other one is there is only one home conversion of this arcade game much loved cult classic gti club gti club plus rally coat d'azur sumo who are responsible for the home conversions of outrun 2 and they've done the sonic the recent uh well say recent the last three sonic all-stars mario kart type games but for sonic they converted GTI Club, but only for the PS3. I don't know why. I doubt you can even buy it anymore, probably because of licensing. But it will remain forever installed on my PS3 so I can play GTI Club. Finally, let's hear from Mr. Ixalite from the forum, who says, The PS3 marked the final step of the evolution into my current gamer form. It marked the peak of how much graphical fidelity I needed from my games, and with the addition of wireless controllers and downloadable games, what functionality I wanted from them. It's in the digital innards of my PS3 in the downloads folder that the true impact of PS3 can be found. Shovel Knight showed me that with some fresh eyes and modern sensibilities, templates as old as a 2D platformer could feel wholly fresh again. Flower and Journey showed me gaming experiences I didn't know were possible and moved me in ways I couldn't have imagined. These games are still some of my all-time favourites and open a whole new world for me in the form of the indie scene. They made me more willing to experiment and try out smaller novel games on a lark. And even if a few titles would reach the heights of the aforementioned trio, this has still yielded most of my best gaming memories in recent years. What the indie games could accomplish with committed art directions also helped me opt out of the graphical console arms race. And I wouldn't buy a new console until the Switch a decade later. My current gaming diet thus involves a few retro favourites, a big helping of indies and the very occasional AAA game, provided it is lean and hopefully level-based in its design, and this was all crystallised through the PS3. So while I may bemoan the lack of backwards compatibility on the occasions when I drag out and plug in my third replacement PS2, I still have my original PS3 hooked up to my TV to this day as a perpetual Netflix access device and occasional gaming console. And with a young daughter showing interest in her father's collection of colourful platformers, the old girl seems poised for a renaissance. So bearing in mind the tech, the library and the legacy, sum up in brief your feelings on the PlayStation 3. Carl? Time's been an incredible healer for my thoughts on the PlayStation 3. Um, You know, I got it at launch. I saw the full cycle 
um, of that system, if you will. And it's a system that I went into uh, after a surprise of getting it, really enjoying it, um, dipping in every now and again for some of the more exclusive indie titles that were on there. Um, really appreciating those, then almost dropping off that console completely, only to pick it up on a whim. I'm not entirely sure why. I've got a feeling that the game that might have got me back in was when we played uh, played through Splinter Cell Chaos Theory again for the podcast, um, only to end up sitting and then having it as my main console for a long time, um, You know, buying the little adapters for the triggers, buying the little adapters for the joysticks, and truly falling in love with it again. Um, you know, I I felt like I wish I'd seen that from the console uh, when I first started playing it. You know, I, I have some great time. I have some great memories of the exclusives that are on there. Um, seeing titles like the Uncharted series evolve into this juggernaut franchise now that it's got a movie coming out, um, all the way down to titles like, you know, Journey, Flower... It was a, a console that really did offer such a vast array of titles um, in, in different genres. Some successful, some not, but we saw risks. Um, and, and I always appreciate it when I look back and I see the risks um, of at least trying something new. So for me, the, the PlayStation 3 was uh, probably unfortunate to come after the, the PlayStation 2, which was an unbelievable machine and then you know it might be forgotten for coming before the PlayStation 4 where we saw such a huge resurgence um in form from Sony um you know we saw a bad attitude lead into the PlayStation 3 um from from Sony themselves um but overall I think you you saw enough uh, to see them turn it around and it ended up being a machine that I'm really really quite fond of thanks Carl yeah I don't sort of feel that i have like uh that sort of really warm glowy soft spot in my heart for the ps3 as a machine but the reason i keep it around apart from obviously potential future use in uh, in kane and rinse uh episodes needing games that can't be played anywhere else uh it really is the, almost the the things that we talked about most recently in this podcast the the reasons that i keep my ps3 more than from yeah more than anything else are games like Trash Panic and The Last Guy and the Pixel Junk series and Tokyo Jungle and stuff like that. The real quirky niche titles that are literally unavailable to play anywhere else. That's not to say I didn't have a great time at the time playing things like Uncharted 2 and Killzone 2 and 3. Uh, made friends with Jay mainly over playing Killzone. Um, and obviously that's borne a lot of fruit and a great friendship over many years. Uh, I played L.A. Noir on PS3. I played GTA 5 on PS3. And yes, yeah, some of those other exclusives that I had a, a good time with and was impressed by LBP and Infamous and things like that. I don't have... Uh, yeah, now I've just got this super slim console that I don't think is that much to look at, but it functions. It feels like it's not going to break. Touch wood, famous last words, etc. Uh, and it's just a little plastic box of wires and chips that is now home to a, a fairly modest of a hundred uh, selection of of games that I that I want to remain in my life and can't enjoy any other way so yeah it's cool it's a cool machine it didn't dominate in the way that other playstations had but um but it 
definitely yeah, earned its earns its place in my in my life for sure. Ryan, PlayStation Three. I kind of um, I kind of divide PlayStation's legacy into two different um, eras. There's kind of the PlayStation One through PlayStation Three, where it feels very kind of Japanese led in its development. It feels like you know, it's a lot of those kind of series that would carry over between those systems and a lot of the same kind of ethos for uh, for building games. Whereas in the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, um, they're starting to kind of feel a little bit more Western-led in their sensibilities as far as the types of games that they are producing from a first-party perspective. Um, they're kind of coming in line with... Um, with what Microsoft is doing and with what PC manufacturers are doing from a technology perspective. But PlayStation 3 was really the kind of wrap up of the era of really kind of standalone individual branches from the hardware tree that may or may not ever go anywhere in the future, but that's just how we're going to do things this time around. You know, that was the way that all systems were uh, before the standardization, but, you know, we've gotten a little bit more kind of clean and standardized in the in the time since then. So, you know, there's some advantages and disadvantages to that when it comes to looking back at the PlayStation 3. Um, obviously, it it feels like it's very, must be very difficult to port things from the PlayStation 3 because there's um, quite a few really highly regarded games that seem to be, at this time anyways, stuck on that system, um, kind of unfortunately. So, but... Um, you know, on the other hand, it was able to do things that nobody else was really doing at the time. From a uh, software perspective, you know, we've talked about a lot of the great games from that generation, but it was also kind of a greatest hits culmination of what PlayStation had done in its first two generations as well, with uh, really nice, uh, generous packages of um, Sly Cooper, Ratchet and Clank, uh, Jack and Dexter mm. games from earlier on. Um, you could play the PlayStation One games natively, and in the early games, you can emulate PlayStation Two um, from disc as well in the early uh, console iterations. Um, and so, you know, it felt like it was built with legacy in mind, even if part of that legacy focus was kind of stripped out in later revisions. Um, but you know, it is one of the two kind of legacy non-current gen consoles that I keep plugged into my TV along with the Wii U, just because there's enough stuff on PlayStation 3 that I just can't play anywhere else. And um, it is still a pretty, a pretty frictionless experience other than the slowness of the hard drive, deleting things, downloading new games, trying to sort through your download list is a nightmare. But um it is nice to be able to have apart from all those things yeah it is nice to be able to have a system where i can plug it in and and play some sly cooper i can play some suikoden you know games that aren't really available Mm -hmm. anywhere else right now um you know looking back at my playstation 3 library i have 348 games on the system of those 210 of them are playstation plus and so it really feels like kind of a proto xbox game pass you know the kind of excitement of like hey here's a game that i've just gotten for free effectively let's give it a try and see what it's like and then you end up discovering some absolute gems and so you know it it was it was in that way kind of a mover and shaker 
um, in a way that Sony would kind of backtrack on in future generations of being a little bit more kind of like being a lot less uh, willing to part with their software for uh, for reduced prices in, um, in in future generations. They've kind of stopped uh, third-party sites from selling codes and there's a lot of things that kind of funnel uh, they kind of close that funnel a little bit around um, around Sony in a way that uh, PlayStation 3 didn't really exhibit. Um, PlayStation 3 was a huge hotbed for indie activity um, being propped up by the cross-buy between that and the PlayStation Vita, which was a brilliant indie system. And the, the Vita and PlayStation 3 supported each other in, in library and sometimes even software uh, really well. Yeah, I, I have uh, really fond feelings for the PlayStation 3, but I'm also really glad that I came to it later in the generation. I think it was not that this is useful information because we're not going to be able to live those years again, but um, I think it was the right way to do it to buy an Xbox 360 at launch, be able to play those games um, right off the bat, be able to kind of experience that system uh, its controller, its user interface, uh, all of that early on, and then kind of transition into favoring PlayStation 3 later once Sony had kind of gotten all of its technical ducks in a row, um, other than the PlayStation hack, which obviously is unfortunate. But, um, you know, it felt like PlayStation was a system that really needed to find its feet. Um, and it did after the first couple of years, and it ended up becoming a a uh, really brilliant place to to play games. Um, never a fan of the controller, but uh, the user interface, the the amount of uh, kind of friction between you and hopping into the game that you want to play was uh, minimal, and um, it feels really uh, feels really modern. Um, even still, after all these years, I'm uh, I don't know if I. It, it's tricky to recommend whether people go back and play it now. I think there's enough games that are trapped on the PlayStation 3 that are worth experiencing to where I'd have to kind of de facto say that, you know, it's worth tracking one down if you're into those specific types of games. But um, but mm. I, I, I'm glad that I have mine still. I don't know if I'd buy a new one today, but I'm glad that I still have mine and it's still in working condition. <laughs> Epic. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, let's conclude with Thomas. Uh, I've still got mine plugged in, the original ps3 that i had all those years and it is i'm just incredibly fond of the machine probably less because of it itself and more because of the gaming experiences that i had through it including loads of third party cross-platform um stuff but because i didn't have a 360 and i just really wasn't ever interested in the uh, xbox ecosystem through those years and it was a long gen as well that's that's the other thing is that you know, we got of the big series, we've got several entries of them. But um, yeah, I it brought me to indie games properly, like arty indie games and expanded my mind of what that could be, especially Flower and Journey was an excitable day one purchase. And, and you know, artistically speaking, I suppose you say we just did The Last of Us Part 2 show, but I did love The Last of Us Part 1 and I was day one for that and that felt like quite a different experience. Um, but all of the big series, like I really hammered uh, gaming in these years. GTA, all of the PS3 Assassin's Creed uh, titles. I got into Souls this gen, Batman, 
Bethesda's bigger games, Fallout 3 and Skyrim, Bioshocks. I played loads of the Call of Duty campaigns. And I, I caught up on a load of games uh, from the PS2 era. I caught up on the, the, the God of Wars, um, Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, RE4, um, and went back to several PS1 games as well. So, yeah, it just really everything. I just, you know, uh, PS Plus encouraged me to play games that I possibly wouldn't have, have picked up anyway. I remember going, this was an era era of, uh, still lots of box games going into a computer exchange and picking up stuff and picking up stuff cheap and going back to older stuff. So, see, I really caned and rinsed the PS3. I maybe, on reflection, could have gone, I probably won't, but could have gone back to more esoteric uh, stuff, uh, stuff that will get locked to the to the console. But um, mainly I just think back to, you know, Uncharted 2 just absolutely blowing my mind and uh, bombing around in Far Cry 3 and sneaking around in Dishonored and the, the big games um, and I, I think yeah I think it's the last console where I really tried to play all of the really big games and kind of had the time to so in that way I feel very fondly of it and before it tipped over into PS4 where I had less time to play just getting into parenthood and, and work and stuff and getting such a big library it felt like with ps4 freebies and stuff that started to feel overwhelming and then like i'd never possibly keep up with the big titles so i I, yeah for that reason predominantly because of the games and because i didn't have a point of comparison i didn't know that i was playing you know inferior versions of them particularly i've still got it hooked up as a okay as a dvd player (laughs) um but it's still there if I wanted to go back and play you know, Pac-Man, Pac-Man uh, uh, DX or Ridge Racer 7 or a couple of very specific things. Um, so yeah, very fond fond memories of it. Um, it'd be sad when I finally unplug it, I think. Jeremy, Pac-Man DX, a very different game to <laughs> Pac-Man Championship Edition. Did I say Pac-Man? <laughs> he may have done. Uh, well, there we go. That's another console covered. As I always say, sorry if we didn't speak about the specific element or game that you wanted us to. But, uh, well, next time you'll have to put some thoughts on the forum ahead of time and uh, and we can include that. But for now, it remains for me, Leon, to thank Carl, Ryan and Thomas, as well as Editor Jay and our correspondents. And, of course, all of you for listening. If you've enjoyed this one, this podcast about the PlayStation 3, please consider our Patreon patreon.com slash because it helps us keep on doing what we do but also it means if you sign up if you're listening to this one and you're not a patron you sign up now there's already another one of these out for you to listen to we haven't even decided at the time of recording what it's going to be about but there will be another one until then goodbye What is power without control? Introducing the six-axis wireless controller for the PlayStation 3. Just tilt the controller to avoid an obstacle or strike a target and the game responds instantly. The result? You swoop, maneuver, dodge and weave your way in and out of the action like never before. 
Using sensors that react when you turn, thrust, angle, or pull, the six-axis controller senses your every move and relays it wirelessly via Bluetooth technology, allowing gameplay to become an extension of your body for an experience you can really feel. Absolute control is now in your hands. Be careful the power doesn't go to your head.